This program deals with devil worship and satanic beliefs. It contains explicit scenes and descriptions of violent crimes and rituals. Americans are asking who attacked our country. You declared a subliminal jihad against the United States. Can you tell us why? Everything pertaining to what's happening has never come to the surface. The world will never know the true facts of what occurred, my motives. And night fell on a different world. And Iblis is thinking, you know, I should be getting this position, not Adam. And this guy is created from dirt. And how does the army feel about you being head of the Temple of Seth? And the conspiracy theorists can say what they will. But... I want you to give me power over Adam. And I want you to give me soldiers and minions and all of these things. The people have had so much I am your co-host, Dimitri. I'm Khaled. And today, we're finally back with another installment of the Grotto Q&A series. Yeah. It's been a while. Hmm. I guess we did a call-in, which was kind of a yeah, that, substitute. That, that counts. Yeah, that, that counts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we're, fact, we're stacking think, yeah. them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People might have like used their... Uh, questions that they had like you know uh, in a couple of months when we finally uh get to the questions that people were asking at the time we may find that some of them were actually asked during the call-in so you know in a way yes. we were working through them maybe slightly out of order i don't know we're always working through them and, yeah <laughs> we uh, always I are we're in the minds. at this point we are uh, we're slow we are question minds we're we are working our way through summer 2021 i think this is like the month of july basically Mm -hmm. these questions but some of them you know uh as as often happens they're pretty relevant we got that we got some interesting curveballs and some synchronicities today Mm -hmm. so yeah i guess you know what let's yeah let's get into it Mm -hmm. all right i'll read the first one sure um which is from hd case and they ask What's your guys' take on the Nuremberg UFO sighting of 1561? Yeah, I thought this was interesting. I mean, this is one of the ones you hear about a lot, I feel like. This is maybe the, like, most famous early modern UFO sighting. I guess because Carl Jung talked about it. Uh, And he, so that's maybe why it's become so famous. I don't know if anybody else drew attention to it uh, as well or sort of highlighted it. I mean, you hear about things like, the the Fatima stuff like you know things that aren't conventionally being uh aren't you know seen as uh falling within the flying saucer thing I mean it's like a a whole trope at this point of like uh strange events in the sky being kind of retroactively classed with the UFO phenomenon which I mean uh makes sense you know I guess it's it's maybe a difference in those sort of flying saucers that are so colored by the ET hypothesis uh association but really, I mean, mm-hmm. it is unidentified flying objects. So, you know, I guess it does sort of belong generally to the topic of of UFOs. But yeah, uh, 
So, I mean, maybe people, if people don't know about this, basically, like, one day in Nuremberg um, <laughs> in uh, 1561, like, people saw this, like, crazy apparition in the sky. There's a famous, like, uh, woodcut, I want to say, of it. Yeah, uh, yeah, there is. You know, in the way that people would, like, create these woodcuts about sort of current events. Like, it's actually kind of interesting because they do this crazy, like, compression of time. Like, you can actually get woodcuts of more conventional things like parades and, like, have the whole, like, parade happening at once you know like it's it's interesting wow. it's kind of like this is sort that of why some of those idiom. medieval woodcuts like look so crowded all the time yeah like, there's it, like, like have, they have weird like depth things going on of just yeah. like there's things on top of things oh, yeah very possibly um it depends i guess on the the woodcut in particular but yeah definitely that was like a technique uh that you know they would illustrate like a a, a, a current event and they would show like everything happening, like kind of layered all over each other. Uh, and you would kind of have to intuit that it was in a sequence based on like the, uh, kind of the visual language. So in okay, that, that makes picture, sense because yeah. the, the woodcut looks like so chaotic. It's like a, like a Michael Bay movie or something. Yeah. Like there's so many like weird orbs and like mm-hmm. cylinders like floating around in the sky and the sun has these kind of like downward facing bow, uh, almost like a new moon actually, or I'm sorry, like a sliver moon like facing upwards right yeah kind of like uh, behind the sun or yeah, behind the, the sun, sun has like object. these two kind of yeah like uh crescent moon shaped arcs behind it pointing up towards like the the top of the sun the top of the sun, yeah or, you know the head of so the, a lot of people, which has a face of course you know in it does have your a face, classic always. fashion <laughs> yeah uh you know but it doesn't look happy about like the ufo battle that's going on around it because that was like how this was perceived like it was like a, a battle between factions of some kind of like aerial entities or uh intelligences or, or factions of some kind um, yes. Yeah. Uh, that was a lot of the, the sort of uh, contemporary coverage was uh, based on that perception. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I think that like, you know, there definitely are like debunky explanations of this that one could have. But I don't really know like how much I buy those, because one that I heard was that it was this event called like a sun dog that I guess came out sort of recently you know like uh oh, someone yeah, maybe yeah. saw it on ancient aliens who has like a blog that's based on like debunking everything that is mentioned on ancient aliens and their uh their take on this was that it was like this event where uh like bright spots appear around the sun but that seems like not what this is <laughs> like it seems no, this like seemed a lot more intense than that. yeah much more intense i'm not satisfied with that expo- explanation you know like uh i don't know people like uh in early modernity or in medieval times, like weren't like stupid. Like they could definitely like, uh, and I think that there probably are like accounts of something like that happening and being recognized like for what it was and not like this prodigious like battle, uh, in the sky. Between, I find it like, hard to believe that forces. every single sighting, you know, in ancient times was like, uh, mistaking a, some kind of, you know, aurora borealis or some natural phenomenon that nowadays like we can easily, point out yeah natural i'm I'm not quite buying it no i mean mean, if there are ufos today that we can't explain of course there were things back it it would make sense that maybe there were things back then even though it does seem to have really picked up after like 1947 um in a weird way but well i think that it's a little bit like yeah it's different because like the 
the fact is that like now we have like man-made airplanes and people mistake airplanes and satellites for ufos all the time you know like so a lot of ufo sightings are going to be yeah like you know a lot of them are actually mundane phenomena or people mistaking aircraft so obviously when aircraft like commercial aircraft or aircraft of various kinds especially aircraft around military bases become more uh prevalent then, you know, you're going to have more UFO sightings. Uh, but for sure, at the same time, like, I don't think that that really like explains like all UFO sightings. I think, uh, you know, I was just listening recently to uh, Jimmy's appearance on on Skeptico, uh, which was just, you know, props to Jimmy, a friend of the pod, Jimmy Fallon Gong for, you know, uh, enduring uh, with grace, like, a, you know, a, quite a dressing down over the importance of, of the ET hypothesis and everything like that, <laughs> uh, you know, and Betty, like uh, Betty and Barney Hill and Travis Walton and all that stuff, you know, uh, kind of uh, Jimmy making the case for there being like a sort of a, a, a more terrestrial psyop uh explanation for a lot of these ufo experiences which i think Mm -hmm. definitely like there are like human agencies involved that's like pretty well established and i think they're definitely in the mix yeah there's definitely definitely like ufo psyops that occur like what we have records of but Yeah. yeah i don't think that that accounts for all of it i think that there is like you know uh there's a abduction phenomenon that is separate and like a UFO phenomenon that is separate. No, it isn't really separate because they do interact with each other, actually, I think to some extent, but like, I think that Mm -hmm. maybe these, uh, psyop, uh, activities that happen or these like staged abductions or staged UFO sightings are directed in some way interfering or manipulating like the actual phenomenon. I think that they bleed over into each other in a lot of ways, but I do think that, uh, there's something like more than just that going on. You know, it's not just like one day they're like, let's pretend to be whatever. Let's pretend to be spacemen. I mean, I think that they do favor the idea that it's aliens from outer space rather than the obvious other explanation that uh, it's Jin. But, um, <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, but I do think that there's some, kind, you know, like, cause you have like, you know, the Nuremberg is actually a good example, uh, but you also have like parallels to the abduction phenomena, like going back, like, you know, centuries so I think that that does the like suggest that there is something uh, like a bit more uh, extensive going on. I'm I'm looking at Carl Jung's letter uh, commenting mm-hmm. on UFOs. I think in the the nineteen in 1957 mm-hmm. that I guess is uh, kind of memorable and stuff. Uh, yeah, he did was, he talk about the Nuremberg thing in there or no? Well, I think he he probably talked about it in his book Flying Saucers, a modern oh, right. myth of yeah. things seen in the skies, mm-hmm. and he examined it uh not the reality or unreality of the titular phenomena but their psychic aspect or what it may signify that these phenomena whether real or imagined are seen in such numbers just at a time the cold war when humankind is menaced as never before in history but he said you know i guess he said because they are a modern myth uh in a way they are real but okay he said in this letter because i think it, it captures kind of what we're kind of what we're talking about um he said the he was he was writing to the New Republic editor Gilbert A. Harrison, who wanted, I guess, Young to do like a some kind of article or series on UFOs. But he said the problem of the UFOs is, as you rightly say, a very fascinating one. But it is as puzzling as it is fascinating, since in spite of all the observations I know of, there is no certainty about their very nature. On the other side, there is an overwhelming material pointing 
to their legendary or mythological aspect. As a matter of fact, the psychological aspect is so impressive that one almost must regret that the UFOs seem to be real after all. Hmm. I have followed up the literature as much as possible, and it looks to me as if something were seen and even confirmed by radar, but nobody knows exactly what is seen. In consideration of the psychological aspect of the phenomenon, I've written a booklet about it, which is soon to appear. It's also in the process of being translated in English, unfortunately being occupied with other tasks. I'm unable to meet your proposition. Being rather old, I have to economize my energies. <laughs> so, yeah, so yeah. He, he basically believed that it was a both a mythological, like, social phenomenon and a real physical phenomenon, and that's what was kind of so yeah. bizarre Well, it's interesting that he said them. the psychological aspect is so impressive that one almost must regret the UFOs seem to be real after all. But yeah. I think that actually, like, you know... Uh, almost everything has like a psychological aspect and a social aspect, but I think definitely like psychological factors bear on encounters with UFOs. Like, I mean, in a way, like a lot of experiences, especially like experiences of like the numinous, like in any way, or like a quote unquote paranormal experiences are like heavily inflected by like the observer. There's a, uh, there's a kind of an observer effect going on like a lot of the time and uh, like everything as well is like socially contingent. So that's definitely yeah. like, a factor that cannot be separated. And like we've talked about this in the past, like this is one of like Jacques Vallée who like despite being a sus lord, like, uh, you know, did this is one of his big insights that like the like sort of skeleton or the structure of like a UFO encounter is very consistent transhistorically, but like the actual sort of details change or the mm. sort of specifics of the appearance change, you know, like uh, in the 19th century, all like the airship encounters of like strange, oh, yeah. you know, like steampunk UFOs and stuff like people saw or like when in medieval times, like people would get like, t like, you know, uh, picked up by like a big rope hook that would like come down from like one <laughs> of these flying, sh you know, See, like, that's so weird. So it basically, yeah, there is a social psychological um, and even like technological contingency in people's experiences with these well, things. Well, yeah, well, the vocabulary time. that people have, like, the imaginative vocabulary people have is in some way, like, adapted by, you know, uh, whatever the phenomenon is. Um, it's like when people say, like, oh, in the Bible, it talks about, like, flaming chariots flying around in the sky, like, chariots of the gods. So, like, oh, that was actually, like, a flying saucer. You know, like... Yeah, well, that's exactly that kind of what the Nuremberg thing, like, in its place in ufology is. An example, like, the Ezekiel thing where he says, like, I saw wheels within wheels... And like mm. they were living creatures atop of the wheels, you know, they're like, oh, my God, it was Grace. It's like, OK, so the Grays have like the face of a lion, the face of an eagle. You know, it's just like kind of like, eh. maybe they did, you know, all right. maybe because yeah. they could only conceive of animals back then. You know, uh, they could so only they, conceive of animals. Uh, I, like, mean, you know, I mean, I mean, that was saw quite an impressive seeing the face of God would kill you. So, you know, maybe it had to be like a man with a lion's head, like, you know, like the Egyptians. Well, yeah, I think that those were supposed to be or they were considered to be like angels or uh, you know, in the sort of exegetical literature. I'm not sure if they, they I don't think they were identified as angels in the actual Ezekiel itself, but I think that mm. they were uh, later on considered to be Definitely. angels. And even the, you know, that's the biblically accurate angel is the throne angel, the one that's uh, the wheels within wheels. Um, mm. So like, Interesting. Uh, but... We all know they were co cosmonauts from Phaeton. Um, <laughs> the survivor uh, yeah. cosmonauts from Phaeton who landed. <laughs> right, I mean... Well, there's like a little bit of a, there's a little bit of a difference, although I think that there is, uh, some of the same like phenomena happening or some of the same dynamics at play. Like, you know, uh, that's kind of like an angelic experience 
and UFO encounters like have a slightly different nature. They're generally more like well, I mean, they're there's more, some crossover. They're more you can have like they're, they're definitely gin-like, more gin like, right? but yeah, yeah because they're ambiguous. Generally, like, sometimes the generally. aliens like I yeah. am your like race father. I'm here to enlighten yeah. you, and then other times they're like probing you, like steal you and like torture you. Yeah, you know? so it's like really there. There's a real range of. Uh, of goodness or badness that yeah or just to, like idiosyncrasy I uh i mean mm. there are stories of like sort of rapture like by angels like you know thinking of uh the revelation of, of the quran the first time like uh you know muhammad like feel like jibreel like hugging him so tightly that he felt like he might die you know uh when the quran is like imparted to him like that's like you know kind of it has like certain similarities but uh there's also like and people like you know have like sort of these like white light you know peaceful space brother like ufo encounters that maybe could yeah. be described as like uh angelic visitations but the thing is angels traditionally speaking like it's very very rare to like encounter angels i feel like people probably like see angels like more now like a report seeing angels like you know <laughs> in like a touch by an angel type way more now than they did like God, in the yeah. past except for maybe the Gotta angel of death it. you know the angel of death is commonly seen by people you know if they feel like they're about to die there's a lot of stories of that you know so, that too that's yeah too. which maybe has a connection with you know people give aliens a connection with death sometimes in the nde sort of discourse so yeah yeah uh this actually kind of reminded me of this story from uh ibn fadlan who was like the basis for Antonio Banderas's character in the movie, the 13th warrior. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. And like his travel log is like what the book, Michael, the Michael Crichton book uh, that the movie is based on was, was itself based on. And he had like a similar report that this, you know, thinking about this reminded me of, um, you know, talking about his travels, like in, in the North of the world, uh, you know, kind of in the, um, you know, Scandinavian uh, regions. I'm not sure if he was quite that far when, when he reported this, but uh, he said, in this country, I saw uncounted marvels. Thus, the first night that we spent in this land, before the, uh, the light of the sun faded, uh, I saw the horizon turn a bright shade of red in the upper air, and there was a great noise and tumult. I raised my head and saw a red mist like fire close to me. The tumult and noise issued from it, and in the cloud were the shapes of men and horses. These spectral men held lances and swords. I could see them clearly and distinguish them. Then suddenly another bank of mist appeared just like the first, in which I saw men, horses, and arms. It advanced to charge the first as one cavalry detachment falls upon another. Frightened, we began to pray and beseech God most humbly, while the locals laughed at us and were astonished at our behavior. We watched the two armies charging. They clashed for a moment and then parted, and so it continued for an hour after nightfall. Then they vanished. We questioned the king on this subject. He claimed that his ancestors said, They are the believing and the unbelieving jinn. They fight every evening and have not failed to do so every night since they were first created. So, like, that's wow. something. You mentioned the Aurora Borealis. A lot of people say, like, oh, he saw the Aurora Borealis. But I don't think that anyone, you know, and that would kind of fit with, like, the people who he's visiting being, like, you know, like, kind of laughing and not viewing this as, like, an unusual thing. But, mm, yeah, you know, they still kind of did describe it in those terms. And what he describes doesn't really seem to match up with the Aurora Borealis. Like why does the Aurora Borealis make all these loud sounds of swords clashing? And like, I don't think so. I think, I think it, I, I don't know what its movement is like, but I feel like maybe it does kind of like glisten and dance a little bit. But yeah, I don't think I mean, it makes Paradolia, loud like thunderclap noises. Yeah. You definitely can. Yeah. Like see images like in pretty much, any like celestial phenomena like clouds you know you can make out something but 
I don't know. The Northern Lights are very, yeah, the Northern Lights are very impressive, but at the same time, I don't know. I, I like, I, uh, yeah, no, I mean, that, that sounds like a kind of a weak sauce explanation. I don't know. Yeah. It was just the Northern Lights. Okay. I don't know. You know. Yeah. But you know, similar but that, sort that's of, an interesting uh, anecdote. Yeah. Um, yeah, but you know, maybe since we're up in Scandinavia now, maybe we should transition into our second question, which is quite, I, I'd say reasonably related to this subject. Okay. Um, yeah, sure. I'll read that one. Uh, so okay. Pooh McDonald asks, uh, I always forget to submit my questions until I see the Q and a apps come out. Anyway, I would be really interested in what the host had to say about flat earth theory. Not so much is the earth flat, but all the ins that go with it, Nazis, aliens, spiritualism, etc., And the fact that the epic debunker documentary seemed to come out about it like twice a year. Thanks guys. Big fan of the show. Mm, hmm. Good old flat earth. Yeah. I feel like Surprise. one of the like very popular explanations for like the rise and flat earth stuff is that it's like a psyop. I'm not yeah. really sure what the, what are the dynamics of it being a psyop supposed to be like, they're trying to get people to believe in flat earth to like shit coat things. Um, or like they're misrepresenting how many people actually believe in it. Because I still do feel like a worrying amount of people actually do think that the earth is flat, like, which is, you know, I feel yeah. like, again, this is a similar thing where more people now believe the earth is flat than have ever believed it, I think. Maybe. I mean, I will sure, probably just in sheer numbers because of our population growth. Yes, but in terms of but, per capita of the population. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that were true, because I think like the idea that people believe the earth was flat. I mean, yeah, the earth is like phenomenologically flat. And maybe most people like don't really like think about it. Like, but people have known that the earth is round for a long ass time. Like, you know. Yeah, uh, I'm seeing that the Greece, the ancient Greece abandoned uh, their flat earth, their belief in the flat earth around uh, 323 BC. <laughs> so, yeah, like no one um, really thought the earth was flat. Yeah, like, uh, like Plato and Aristotle both wrote about how the earth was spherical. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not like, I think we often hear that it was like, uh, well, oh, it yeah, must well, have been Gal- like Galileo or Copernicus. That, right. you know, it w- before that, the, the church was just like, no, it's flat. But yeah, I don't even exactly. know if the church... No, they didn't. Flat. They thought that they they did maintain that the earth was the center of like, you know, that the sun revolved yeah. around the earth okay. and stuff like that. They, they were heliocentrics. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. You know, and Galileo didn't really have the proof to show otherwise, even though, you know, he was correct. Uh, he kind of like speculated, but it didn't quite uh, it had they didn't they weren't quite able to make the measurements. You know, it's just like Chomsky. You know, they weren't able. That's why they, he always compares himself to Galileo, because like. You know, they we're not able to build the universal translating machine, but, you know, eventually we will. And all of Chomsky's theories will be vindicated. Um, I just want to do a little collection because uh, there's often a lot of uh, Polish erasure around this subject. Uh, it was uh, Nicholas Copernicus that actually uh, established uh, heliocentrism, not mm. Galileo. Uh, Galileo was after. He established something else that was like important, but. Yes. You know, step off Italians. Uh, no offense, but. <laughs> yeah no that's uh that's true but uh yeah but i think at the time like uh, of galileo generally like geocentrism was still upheld like uh right Am i think I wrong, he was, was... I, i'm pretty sure that I, i'm trying to think what galileo it's a bit more complicated than people often say like it wasn't just that like the church like denied science <laughs> it was like you know uh that he actually you know not to defend like the catholic church too much but like like most things, it's a bit more nuanced than like the, you know, classic story of Galileo that you always hear 
uh, yes, paints yes. it to be. Uh, well, okay, yeah. So basically, yeah, he started championing Copernicus's theories uh, mm. of heliocentrism and then got into it with the Catholic Church. Um, mm. So he did not discover it, but he, like, jumped, and I think he built upon it with his other astronomical discoveries after that. Mm-hmm. Um, did they end up killing him? I forget. No, I don't think that they killed him. He was harassed. He was harassed. I think that he might have been, like, jailed. Um, and, like, well, I mean, we all know his famous last words of, like, Iper Simuov, uh, or whatever, you know, it, it still moves. I don't think that those were said, like, on... And yet on, it on, moves. Yeah, I don't think that those were said, like, on the gallows. Um, yeah, he spent <laughs> the rest of his life under house arrest. Damn, okay. But, you know, flat earth. Okay, this, is, this idea has been... I don't know exactly when. So I guess the Catholic Church really was kind of um, still sticking to that for a while. Geocentrism at the very least. They called it yeah. foolish and ridiculous uh, that, you know, the Earth was not the center of the uh, galaxy. But nonetheless, I mean, I think I think there's been just as like. He also, all- just like a Betsy Ross thing, just to clarify, he did not actually say, and yet it moves. Uh, that's like, made <laughs> up, obviously, like just to, to clarify, he didn't say that conspiracy Um, of history yeah yeah so but then i i mean i remember that i remember 2015 specifically was the year that flat earth stuff started like flooding youtube like it it really did kind of come out of nowhere like nobody was really talking about it's always you know it's always been there on the fringe Mm -hmm. and stuff i'm sure in the 19th century Um, i'm seeing like drawings here from like the 1890s uh by Orlando Ferguson, who drew uh, a popular flat earth map in 1893, etc. But like, you never heard of, even in the conspiracy kind of world, this was like very, very marginal. And then suddenly all these videos started coming out. And I mean, there were almost, this I wouldn't say they were like- This is a funny map. This is like a crater earth. This is even more than a flat earth where you have like the crater earth, uh, the Orlando yeah, you're right. It's Ferguson like a concave map. earth. Yeah, exactly. That's a, that's, that's one take you could, you could uh, have. <laughs> Um, but yeah, but I remember seeing like the videos, I mean, a lot of them were kind of like crappy, but there were a lot of them and they were all pushing like a certain set of ideas, almost like right out of the gate. And like, I don't know, they'd always have like videos of people flying like over Greenland and like, look at the horizon. Like it's not bent or something. They, they, they try to yeah, do something to like make right. it look like, oh, it's actually, or they, they would look at flight patterns around the world. It's like, why does it make sense that like, you know, somebody flies. I remember like, that. Why yeah, does nobody so fly funny. over Antarctica or yeah, like the exactly. Arctic or whatever? Yeah. They don't understand that like map compressions like are different and like that the distance like isn't exactly like what's represented. Yeah. Like it's. Also, yeah. is it, I don't know if it isn't it like danger. It would, wouldn't you think it's like more dangerous? It's probably maybe, more to like dangerous. Fly I, over I the Arctic Circle like that. Like, I don't really know for sure, uh, but I think that it's actually like a greater distance than maybe it, it's not like you know a video game or something where like you instantly spawn like on the other side of the map. <laughs> you know, like you have to like yeah. cross the entire North Pole. Like it's usually not. Uh, you know, well, there's also air currents that are like vast that that's why like it, mm-hmm. all the planes kind of fly one route, like say going from the West coast, to the East coast, and they fly another specific kind of route because they're like, 
you're flying with or against the wind. So like there, there probably oh, yeah, are a lot of like There's also magnetic can... issues apparently. Oh, uh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Just so, imagine like, yeah. Also like, just yeah. think like if a plane like had some kind of issue, like, you know, and had to like land, but they were flying over Antarctica just to prove that the earth was round. <laughs> 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 suck. Um, yeah. Well then we're in like Bermuda triangle territory where like, yeah, these don't work. Also and, and like, obviously like you can't fly right in Antarctica cause that's where like John Kerry and they all have like their bases, you know, like they're, they're yeah that's where the nazi bases. alien exactly. bases so, so that's, off, that's why then yeah mm-hmm. uh yeah so it's really at a certain point you get down to the level of like what like is flat earth a psyop covering up for like other psyops or it's it's just like it, and but also is it like a meta psyop by seeding this into the sort of bloodstream of like youtube conspiracy culture is everything that is even adjacent to it going to get shit coded, you know, because like that's been, that was always like, I feel like a, a dumb, like normie kind of thing to say, like, what do you believe the earth is flat? Like yeah, for like probably the entire type thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, the well, whole 20th like, century. Past the anti-Semitic point of no return to think the world is flat. Yeah. Um, seek help. Seek I mean, help. yeah. I mean, probably there are a fair number of people who are anti-Semitic and think the world is flat, but there's no real uh, inherent correlation between the two. Uh, no. And I, I don't know. I, I did see, I saw overlap with like Nazis. It makes me think of like red ice radio, which is definitely one of those like conspiracy theory channels that was crypto Nazi, yeah. but like hit it relatively well enough that they could get a lot of people that were just kind of like reptoid pilled to like kind of tune in. Mm-hmm. And um, David Icke, that's almost like a little more of a liminal kind of case. Does David uh, Icke think the world is flat? No, no, no. But like oh. in terms of, oh, he's talks about, he's talking about reptiles. He's really an anti Semite. It's like, oh. eh, I mean, I don't know. I'm not completely sold. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> that's like, I don't know if that's yeah. the animating drive behind David Icke necessarily. I yeah. think he might be totally insane. He happened to be right a few times mm-hmm. about like Jimmy Savile. But, uh, but uh, yeah, the flat earth thing just seemed like it was a way to, it, I mean, it's interesting how it came out kind of like before QAnon as well. Because mm-hmm. it has a similar dynamic and then with like a huge chunk of America, like that's immediately disqualifying. Like you really are in a seek help category if you believe the earth is flat. And it's the same thing if like you believe in QAnon, like you're be- you, you can't be saved. Like you've mm-hmm. gone insane. You've joined a cult, et cetera. And, uh, and that was, but then everybody is like afraid to be associated with it because it's so kind of uh, toxic. And I mean, mostly for good reason because it's not exactly convincing um though it is fun to think about i suppose uh mm-hmm. it's one of those out it's like the kind of like the new chronology thing it's like a thousand years were just made up and it's yeah. like a, it's kind of fun to think about but do i really believe it mm, probably not but. i feel like flat earth is a little bit more fun possibly because like when you talk about the new chronology and like everything being made up there's like so much like political baggage to that like yeah. political like ideological baggage where it's like just saying the earth is flat like is just doesn't there's no real inherent uh like uh ideological baggage to it except for like the flat rejection of like really uh anything resembling like science like in the most elemental sense like not the capital s science of today but just like literally like science in, in the sense of like knowledge yeah. like the measurement of like one's perceptions and like the determination of like the uh empirical reality of certain things yeah, uh, I Though, mean, I think that co- probably the reason why there's a Nazi association is because, like, 
you know, uh, there's kind of like a Gnostic appeal to believing the earth is flat in a way where like you're rejecting like the profane and embracing like, even though again, like with a lot of these sort of occultic esoteric things, it's not true that like, you know, it's really traditional, but it feels like, you know, you're embracing the truth and some, you know, the, maybe if the world isn't literally flat, it's like spiritually flat with the Hyperboreans on top or something. So I think that oh, yeah. well, in the, the same kind way, of, yeah. That's, it's kind of similar to the hollow earth. Like it, it's sort of a cousin of hollow earth. Definitely. I feel like Hollow yeah. Earth is way more associated with like not like weird esoteric Nazis. Yeah, than maybe mm. Flat Earth is. Well, yeah, I think it's more popular uh, in those esoteric circles. Like, I'm pretty sure that like Blavatsky strongly implied the Earth was hollow. Like, so New Agers like in the 19th century were all about like Hollow Earth, whereas Flat Earth was a bit more marginal. But yeah, I think they are. They're obviously cousins because they're both alternative takes on the nature of the Earth uh, <laughs> physically. So, yes. you know, I feel like maybe that's part of the reason why there's a sort of Nazi or like a sort of a reactionary uh, association uh, or that it attracts that type of thought because you know yeah like NASA's lying like you know they're all Jews that's the other thing is I remember you know? like the real culprit in flat earth like the big boogeyman yeah. was NASA exactly like, NASA just like how like in Bigfoot it's like the bureau of like wildlife management or like whatever you know like <laughs> exactly um, yeah, yeah there was always like posting of like something that like NASA would post people being like lol like nice try NASA yeah, like ballers look, like, ballers stay losing ballers cope, coping <laughs> ballers um yeah ballers yeah well speaking of ballers remember when Kyrie Irving came out and said he was yes. a flat earther in like mm-hmm. 2016 that right. was an interesting that was, thing too that was and, a oh, B-O- wait it, B-O-B, I, did B.O.B. Yeah. or was he just about cloning centers no he did believe in the flat earth and he recorded a song about it called flatline Oh, that's right. Flatline, flatline. You fooled us for the last time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and it was like actually like a clap back at Neil deGrasse Tyson because Neil deGrasse it Tyson. It was. They got no fight on Twitter. Yeah, they had like a feud. It was funny. Yeah, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Like, I remember yeah. that album was fire, honestly. The B.O.B. album with Flatline. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, it had like song. shit about, it had shit about reptoids. It had shit um, about the cloning centers. I'm looking like, up the lyrics to Flatline right now because uh, <laughs> I remember them being pretty good and he like really owned him too. Um... Yeah, I mean, that's uh, maybe that's a psyop is like providing Neil deGrasse Tyson, who is like just someone who like you want the earth to be flat because Neil deGrasse Tyson is so insufferable. <laughs> like, you know, you don't want him to even be right about the earth being round. Yeah, I had to look up flatline B.O.B. because like apparently Justin Bieber. Wow. Trying to suppress the truth. They wow, had their puppet SEO Justin bearing. Bieber come up with another. Yeah. Checkmate and a game of chess. Globalists see me as a threat. Um, got the clones scared because woo, use your common sense. Why is NASA part of the Department of Defense? They divided up the season to 33 degrees, feeding kids masonry. Bruh, be careful what you read. Flatline, flatline. There's no superior bloodline. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I agree. True. Yeah, yeah. Fuck these sickos. Um, Heliocentrism. You were the sixth victim. <laughs> no. Oh man. Oh no! But see that at the I forgot on at the at the last verse he says, "Do your research on David Irving. Stalin was way worse than Hitler." Oh come on! <laughs> That's why the POTUS got to wear a kippa. Okay, Ooh, all right, yeah, see, there uh, maybe, you go. all right. There you go. <laughs> so he was getting. It looks like he was getting influenced by some crypto Nazi flat earthers. Yeah, um, Stalin was way worse than Hitler. How could you be so? Yeah, whatever. It's really funny <sighs> that, like, that is, like, the salient thing that he has to point out, you know? Like, it really says a lot about, like, these sort of, like, networks of information where people get persuaded of the Flat Earth stuff, like, what their main priorities are. Like, they need to convince you that Stalin was worse than Hitler, 
and like you know uh, that Jews like are control, control the, world, the president. Yeah. Wow. Get a lawyer. Look up Dr. Richard Souter. I don't know who that is, but uh, yeah, I want to um, know. I want to know, uh, Dr. Richard Souter. Um, Oh, I see the the mixtape, uh, or maybe this is Flatline Part Two, but it's got like a snow. Oh, he globe. was the world's premier investigator of underground bases and tunnels. Whoa. Okay. Well, maybe we'll come he back. Wrote I don't a know book what Bob is up in to. Plain sight beyond the X Files. I guess trying to do a you know ride the coattails of the X Files popularity uh, in 2012. What are the secret underground bases? How far down do they go? What leaks are coming at? Wait. So I guess the world is like rectangular, really. Because if you have deep underground bases, how flat could the Earth be? I guess Good it's re- I guess it's rectangular. Yeah, like no uh, one thinks okay. the Earth is like a plane, right? Like just a flat plane. Like obviously, there's a little bit of depth to it. The surface of the Earth is flat. You know, we all live on a flat plane, but underneath, who knows what's down there? Like it's oceans and oceans of reptoids. In September 2017, B.U.B. saw. $200,000 in donations to launch his own satellites to verify the shape of the earth. Wow. What happened? Did he verify mm, it? What? Well, he upped his request to a million dollars to cover <laughs> the cost of many test seeking drones, weather balloons and satellites. I don't think he raised it. Um, he does have, it seems like he got really kind of like uh, soft blacklisted after his whole flat earth conspiracy theory come out. Yeah. Well, wow. Psychedelic thoughts mixtape. He looks like it's like a Mayan, like ayahuasca. Oh boy. Um, he had, oh, his single paranoid. I didn't realize that it seems like he, he'd been hinting at it for years, but now he can't. I guess he called out the Illuminati. So, yeah, he challenged them. Yeah. Yeah. Where it, he hit him where it really hurts, the biggest live all. Um, so yeah, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it seems like flat earth is pretty, it does seem to be like some kind of trap, but, uh, it's definitely like a trap and a lot of like roads lead you eventually to flat earth shit. I think like, mm-hmm. you know, for whatever reason, that's like the honey pot or like the, the bottomless pit, ironically, <laughs> that well, people uh, like to say we're on a, we're on a prison planet and that just kind of literalizes it. Like we're literally in like a caged up. That's a whole globe. other thing. Yeah. That like, you know, the, but I feel like there's a lot of crossover with the moon being like an artificial satellite that is like trapping all of our souls. Um, yeah. That's yeah. the like kind of death star station that right. monitors hollow us. moon. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Flat earth, hollow, hollow moon. moon. Exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, right. So yeah, definitely, like, it does seem like something that has been, like, heavily, like, promoted or whatever. For whatever reason that, it, like, it, yeah, it definitely captures a lot of enthusiasm um, and, like, directs and it into, like, McDon- believing as, that yeah, know, NASA as, is lying about. I mean, NASA is NASA sus, is sus. But, yeah. But in perhaps different ways. Like, this is maybe covering up for the real susness of NASA like murdering Brian De Palma's brother for creating a like perpetual energy machine, um, faking the moon landing. Maybe there, there's all kinds of things which BOB believes that it was fake. Um, but you know, Pooh McDonald also says that, you know, 
like every year, like twice a year, there's like an epic debunker documentary that comes out. And I feel like it's like the preferred conspiracy topic for like blue check journalists to like, it's like the Fisher price basketball hoop they can dunk on all the time and like beef up their like conspiracy debunking credentials. Oh, for sure. Because like, yeah, it's kind of like the ultimate slippery slope. You know, if you question any authority, eventually you're going to believe that the earth is flat. And like, if you have any epistemic instability at all, or like any epistemic plurality or diversity, then like everyone's going to start thinking that the earth is flat, uh, which is like, yeah, very convenient. Uh, but a lot like, you know, it's the like algorithms and like, uh, information warfare (laughs) that like these people (laughs) have unleashed that have proliferated ideas like that, which often like go hand in hand with like reactionary bullshit. Like that's, you know, I mean really like YouTube is to blame for this. It like, absolutely it is YouTube's fault. Like yeah. like I said, the first place I saw it was like it just flooded and YouTube's been doing that shit with like UFO footage and yeah, all kinds for sure. of other stuff. Well if you stuff, get into like if you start at like the level of like, you know, uh UFOs like being interested in like pictures of or videos of UFO sightings or credible UFO sightings or something, then like next thing you know, the algorithm is recommending you like, you know, more new age type shit. And then exactly. it's like, well, we're Nazis and like, you know, it's like it's like shit like that. So it's like And yeah. that and that was also coming out before they started kind of bit like Alex Jones was still like one of the biggest YouTube channels back when like Flat Earth blew up. I think he used to even complain about it. Like they got the flat earth, like, you know, they're trying to like screw up our algorithm. You know, and, and basically like, you know, claiming that uh you know, but big tech is trying to like shitcoat him basically, you know, uh, his truth bombs by associating with flat earth and a bunch of other stuff too, that probably would get like ripped off of though. They still have tons of like insane right wing content and like fashy shit mm-hmm. all over, um, YouTube. So it's not really like they've gotten rid of it, but yeah, you just you have know, to work a little bit harder, uh, to find it. Yeah. Yes, yeah. But I think you definitely will get like in anything that, spiritual, like, yeah, you're going to get the algorithm's going to gonna give you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. Like it also serves to vindicate it in a way. Like they make it like a little bit difficult to find. So you feel like you're in some kind of secret club, but it's not like that difficult to find. No, um, yeah, no. yeah, exactly. I guess Elon Musk like shouted them out on uh, the flat earth society on Twitter at one point wow, and everybody, right. he, everybody's he jaws dropped Mars to the floor. Society thing? Yeah. Like I think he did. Yeah. Yeah. He asked why, is there no flat Mars society and everyone just thought it was like so epic bacon their jaws like literally hit the fucking floor gaping open it's funny the flat earth society told Elon Musk thanks for the question unlike the earth Mars has been observed to be round <laughs> okay that that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard yeah wait so if you think that if you think the earth is flat you really think that orb flying up in the sky is even real yeah. You fucking kidding me? Well, I don't know. Do they think it's a planet or a world? Like, or do they think that it is like a satellite or something? Or like They just know. said it's been observed to be round. Yeah, but that leaves open the question of like, yeah, I mean, in a way it makes sense. Like, you know, there's a flat earth that's like the center of everything and it's orbited by, or like, you know, there's a bunch of like orbs in the sky. There's nothing necessarily illogical about I that. I guess they're not planets. Yeah. Yeah, it's like just the a, sun, I assume that the flat earth isn't revolving around the sun either. I assume that the it's just like, you know, up there in the sky, whatever the sky is. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't really make any sense, which is why like it's been generally like an extremely marginal view, except maybe like on a kind of intuitive level for people where like, you know, our experience of the world is like kind of that, you know, 
you walk straight or something and that's like we're you, too small to perceive it yeah we're too a sphere we, yeah, we don't completely. like see everything being like a vast curve although if you look out to the distance like generally like you do kind of see like the horizon line and how it works like maybe it's like that i feel like when you're flying really high like thirty five thousand. yeah feet, you kind like, of do kind of but it might be you know well you it. know what the flat earth is which has that is the curvature of the plane windows that's designed to, you know, like the plane windows are curved in a way that makes you see. You okay. Know. This is literally a, like everybody has to be in on it kind of thing, like mm. down to the smallest mm. level, which, you know, we usually like mm. to push back against that, but I feel like, uh, this to, is, mm. there's I the mean, ice come wall. On. I mean, the ice wall is out there. Uh, good point. Okay. Do I trust Boeing to like not put concave yeah. windows in mm. that distort? Nah, you're yeah, right. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. We all these know. defense contractors, yeah. we're living in their world. Mm hmm. Jesus, that's the, <laughs> but you know, well, uh, yeah, big, I mean, big if true. Well, I think that, yeah, like we really don't have like, I mean, you can really like do simple experiments to verify it. I remember watching a documentary about flat earthers where they did like a simple experiment to measure like, uh, you know, whether there was any curvature to the earth. And it kept coming up like, you know, like they bought their own equipment and everything. And like at the end, like it continually, you know, came up to have the result that they were obviously hoping that it wouldn't have or had hypothesized that it wouldn't have, which would indicate that the earth is round. Yeah. And it was a big, uh, issue. I mean, you really can devise simple experiments to prove it, but I guess, yeah, there's a, there's a kind of like epistemic collapse in a way. And when, and there definitely is an instinct in people, which sometimes can be valuable, but sometimes can lead people astray where like, if something is a popular view or is in any way, it's very interesting how these dialectical things work because in a way, like, the there's a Streisand effect where, like, the mm -hmm. more people, like, you know, uh, fr flip out over flat earth theory and the more people want to stomp it out, like, that yeah. gives it more credence. Yeah, like, I think that works know, with a lot of things, right? With a lot of things, for sure, yeah. Um, and sometimes it's like, I think, like we said, it's useful, I think, for the, uh, the powers that be to keep flat earth out there as just like the ultimate shit coat thing that mm -hmm. makes everybody look dumb and is uh, one of many, many distractions they have. Yes. To kind of throw one people of off the course they when have. they're like baby conspiracists, you know, mm -hmm. like, Oh, what, like how deep does the rabbit hill actually go? And then they just take you to like the most like yeah. bizarre and then, fucking Nazi <laughs> theory. And then it's weird because like what they don't do anything about it. I mean, I guess there's maybe nothing to do about this massive, like, planet-wide conspiracy to represent the Earth as being round when it's, in fact, flat. Like, maybe that's kind of paralyzing to believe that. Yeah. But... That's useful. Yeah, I don't know. Like, what, what would you do if the Earth was flat? Like, what would... What could one do? What should we do? You know what I mean? Like... There's a whole host of questions that would that haven't even been <laughs> we don't even know what to ask. Like, I mean, does I it guess matter if it's not, had the right yeah. idea, like we have to go out in space and like verify it independently somehow. Yeah, like, that's I mean, what we would have to do. You know? The real relevant thing is we're ruled by people who are lying to us about it, which is like and we don't know why they're lying to us about exactly. it. Et cetera, so et cetera, we need to so. like take them out of the equation. We need to like maybe it's like an anxiety. Yeah. Like of our dependency on them for knowledge in a way, you know, we want to have our own rocket yeah. to go up for ourselves, you know, but yeah, it's understandable to a point. Cause everything is mediated by like yes, the media, by the government, by corporations and everything else. And it's yeah. hard for, that is a level of thing that is hard for us to 
I mean, I'm sure some like an astronomer could probably like take a telescope and like observe something. They could like demonstrate. You know what I mean? <laughs> but like definitely. for an average I mean, person, like, you for your def- average like, layperson, they don't believe that the Earth moves either, which you can definitely demonstrate just with like a pendulum, you know, and stuff like that. Like, <laughs> right? Like the Foucault. stars moving. I guess they think the stars move uh, every night. I it's guess not the so. Earth spinning. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they think don't, like don't get sucked into it, kid. It's funny because like yeah, they they think that like if you jump up in the air, then like the Earth, like you know, you should like land in a different spot, and the Earth should just like zip past you because like you know the Earth is spinning very quickly. But it's so like they're like so then why doesn't it just like you know why don't we fly off and stuff? It's just like <laughs> yes. Well. On the other side of the coin, I do want to get some things in here about Galileo uh, because actually uh, Fairbend, who we talked about a little bit on our episode about um, the uh, the Cop- Copernican deception, he was like a big critic or uh, reappraiser of Galileo, and yes, he actually said that he was like a worse scientist. Than Bellarmine, who is famous for our friend Adrian Vermeule, uh, his namesake on Twitter. Um, oh, really? Yeah, I think that's how you pronounce his name, uh, Bellarmine. Uh, you know, he was saying that Bellarmine was actually a better scientist than uh, Galileo. Uh, was he Arab? No, he was like a Catholic dude. But oh, oh, that's like one word, Bellarmine. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, right. So the Catholic Church, according to Fair, Ben, rather than Galileo, was scientifically justified in the dispute over the placement and rotation of the sun and earth, given available knowledge of the time. Referring to Bellarmine's letter to Foscarini, physicist Pierre Duheim suggests that, in one respect at least, Bellarmine has shown himself to be a better scientist, or philosopher of science, than Galileo by disallowing the possibility of a strict proof of the Earth's motion, on the grounds that an astronomical theory merely saves the appearances without necessarily revealing what happens. That's interesting. So Pierre Duheim said that about uh, Bellarmine. And it definitely seems to be the case that uh, in Fairbairn's account, this is just according to the Stanford Encyclopedia of, of Philosophy, um, mm-hmm. Fairbairn said, um, you know, uh, that Galileo, you know, was not as scrupulous as he was sometimes represented to be. Uh, Fairbairn portrayed Galileo as making full use of rhetoric, propaganda, and various epistemological tricks in order to support the heliocentric position. The Galileo case is crucial for Feyerabend, since the scientific revolution and his paradigm of scientific progress and of radical conceptual change, and Galileo is his hero of the scientific revolution. He also sought to further downgrade the importance of empirical arguments by suggesting that aesthetic criteria, personal whims, and social factors have a far more decisive role in the history of science than rationalist or empiricist historiography would indicate. So, yeah. Wow, shots fired. Yeah. Galileo. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess, you know, he actually supports, in a way, Galileo, like, for using, like, rhetorical tricks and propaganda to support something that ended up being correct. But, uh, yeah, another I see, thing. But it wasn't uh, just yeah. the data. It wasn't just the hard no, data it wasn't. that moved Actually, science like, forward. Yeah, the better scientists were the people, like, technically speaking, in terms of scientific methodology the better scientists were the ones who were wrong. Yeah, another thing is that Pope Urban the Eighth had been a patron to Galileo, and he gave him permission to publish on the Copernican theory, as long as he treated it as a hypothesis. This is according to Whoa, Wikipedia. What? But after Wait, the publication in 1632, the patronage broke due to Galileo placing Urban's own arguments, which sided with the scientific consensus of the time, in the mouth of a simpleton character named Simplicio. Ooh. <laughs> Damn. What? He was writing like satires? 
Uh, apparently he really screwed up when he wrote like this one book, uh, in defense of it. And prior to that, he had been patronized by both the Jesuits and the Pope, but they got upset because he wrote this one thing that like really went in and, you know, maybe they were like kind of manipulated to think that, uh, it was offensive. Maybe like Galileo's enemies kind of were whispering in their ears saying like, he talks shit about you in this book. See, this is about you. Like he's subtweeting you when like, maybe he didn't mean it that way. (laughs) But it's, yeah, like, kind of yeah. ambiguous. Yeah. Um, Interesting. And the Jesuits dropped his support as well? Uh, stopped yes. supporting him? When first summoned by the Roman Inquisition in 1616, Galileo was not questioned but merely warned not to espouse heliocentrism. Also in 1616, the church banned Nicholas Copernicus's book on the revolutions of the celestial spheres, published wow. in 1543, which contained the theory of the Earth revolved around the sun. After a few minor edits, making sure that the sun theory was presented as purely hypothetical, it was allowed again in 1620 with the blessing of the church. 16 years after his first encounter... So they were just trying to fact-check. They just wanted to fact-check. 16 years after his first encounter with the church, Galileo... Yet, no, the Earth does not revolve around the sun. 16 years after his first encounter with the church, Galileo published his Dialogue on the Two World Systems in 1632, and the Pope ordered another investigation against him. And so then he was prosecuted. But that was, I guess, the text. The Dialogue on the Two World Systems that really got him in trouble. uh, Because apparently he like insulted the Pope possibly by caricaturing him as Simplicio. <laughs> Simplicio. That's quite a roast. Damn. Yeah. Yes. We should come back around to Galileo one day and really figure out who, who he was working for. <laughs> yeah. Who was he working for? Yeah. <laughs> who was using Galileo? Um, mm-hmm. It seems like there were some, there's some games. Uh, I mean, yeah. Science is political. And it? it certainly is. Yeah. Always. Do we want, to just uh, jump into this one to complete the trinity sure, of yeah. uh, mystical shit. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so kind of related. Uh, Dude of Life asked, I have a goofy question. I am rather fascinated with the idea of ley lines or high energy spots or whatever one would call it. I was wondering if anyone may know some of the better resources and evidences on the subject. It seems like most of the shit I've checked out is the same regurgitated info on retarded YouTube channels with no <laughs> real leads on what the fuck is actually going on. Arsler. Stuff like the, beep, yeah, Arsler. Uh, <laughs> stuff like the Great Pyramid intersects with stuff like Washington, D.C., Stonehenge, Easter Island, the use of dousing rods, etc. That's about as far as anyone gets into it, it seems. I must know these secrets. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I really, yeah, I'm not sure if ley lines, is the idea of ley lines like actually an old idea or is it something that was invented in the 19th century? Because that's what I, like not really having checked prior to reading this question, that's what I kind of, is my sense just based on my ambient background knowledge. Um, yes, my like cursory impression places of is power that is definitely like, a th- you know, the idea that there are certain places that, uh, you know, maybe have like a certain uh, aura or, or in some way. Yes. Uh, yeah. Like that, I guess, is a, you know, a relatively old idea that certain places are significant for whatever reason, you know, because they have mountains. unique natural features. Yeah. Like um, you think about Mount Fuji. Um, yeah, mountains. There's, mm-hmm. there's a mountain in Liberia, I'm forgetting the name right now, that has apparently a lot of spiritual power and, like, spirits associated with it. Yeah. That a lot of people are kind of afraid to go, you know, climb up because you Yeah, mountains in general, um, you know, Mount Olympus. Yeah, yeah Mount Sinai. Uh, Mount Shasta is sus as fuck. Yeah, like, Mount Shasta, Bigfoot is like, there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, my impression, 
impression is that it this idea of a ley line was like a 19th century creation, but it was mm-hmm. trying to discover something that it thought was ancient. Of like, course, yeah. It, it's as sort all of these projecting backwards. Are. Yeah. And saying all these ancient places were built according to these ley lines, which I didn't know. It says on Wikipedia, this sounds almost too wacky to be like true, that it was called ley lines because the lines uh, that Alfred Watkins, who first popularized this, um, the lines that he sort of identified went through places whose names contain the syllable lay, like L-E-Y, which just mm. seems like uh, that's what you're going to hang your hat on. <laughs> like that, that That's weird to me because it's like, okay, what? So there's a bunch of places. Maybe he was thinking in the English context where there'd yeah. be a lot of places with like, I don't know, Wembley, like some, yeah. you know, some kind of name like that. A lot of places are named Wembley, probably around uh, the UK. Uh, his book, The Old Straight Track. Interesting. Yeah. So this this seemed to really be popular in Britain. Yeah. And also among like stuff. kind of affluent, like people from affluent families. Uh, <laughs> I noticed him and the other guy, John Mitchell, was another person who popularized this kind of stuff. Um, he was associated with the traditionalist school of esoteric thought, mm-hmm. um, which is connected, I think to like the perennial philosophy, kind of Aldous Huxley shit mm-hmm. and something like the earth mysteries movement, I guess is also yeah. something that's associated with ley lines and, yeah, you know, Stonehenge sure. is a big deal yeah. for them. But wasn't, I, didn't I see like a Twitter thread, like not that long ago that was like Stonehenge was basically like reconstructed in like the early 1800s. Oh Yeah. Definitely like, it's it was. Not, it, it's yeah, not like it was like an absolute there. shambles like before like the way that it looks now is not like how it used to look. Uh yeah. it like, you know, it's not like there was nothing there, but it was like a mess uh before they rebuilt it. And they, so yeah, whatever form it has today, people kind of look at it as like, ooh, we it's so important to see like the arrangement of all these stones, but it's like or like how did they get the stones up on top of the thing, blah, blah, blah. I mean, maybe some of them were just up there, but like if you're talking about the 19th century, there's all kinds of ways yeah. that they could, it's actually not a mystery um, in terms of, True, it's not like yeah. a wonder. Right. You Although, know, I mean, people you know, say the same about pyramids too. That they were up there, you know, it is based on like, they did do like research to try to determine, you know, where they were originally, you know, like there they are tried paintings. to reconstruct it. Yeah. They're like, exactly. It wasn't like, you know, we'll just do this willy nilly, uh, you know, there might be some errors. Like it might not be like exactly correct. Uh, you know, there might be some, some mistakes, uh, in the way Stonehenge is arranged, but, um, yeah, like, uh, you know, it, it's not like totally, um, you know, just like arbitrary what it looks like. Yeah. 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 Okay. Fair enough. Cause it is supposed to what go back to like three and maybe as far back as 3000 BC, they claim yeah. built by mm-hmm. the Druids and all that, all that jazz. Yeah. Um, yeah, they had they found fragments of human bone as early as uh, three thousand BC. So you know, I mean, there's something there was something going on there. It probably was like a ritual. Yeah, site. I mean, things um, like that are like ubiquitous. You know, there's always like significant like stone circles are a thing in the in the U.S. too. Funeral uh, mounds. Yeah, funeral like that, mounds. Right? Like I mean, cemeteries like uh, you know are considered to have power just by virtue of the dead being there, like tombs. Yeah, I mean, that sort of transforms the landscape through human effort. So it's a bit different from the places being significant in and of themselves. But I mean, like, you know, if there's like a river or something or any kind of like unique natural formation that tends to, you know, uh, 
draw people's attention a lot of the time. So there's tons of things like that. Uh, but the idea of like these lines, like sort of straight lines that like things line up across, maybe mm-hmm. again, insofar as like these are based on like uh, natural formations that, you know, might have uh, might extend across uh, certain geographical distances. But I don't know if like, you know, uh, I mean, it's a tantalizing prospect because like, I mean, there's definitely the like, ancient world. I feel like Freemasons probably believe in that. Like, you know, that's, that's like definitely their idea. True. I mean, like when you get to geometry, yeah, like when you get to Washington, D.C., <laughs> that was built by Freemasons who were obsessed with like building like it while not necessarily ley lines. There was a certain structure to like the whole design of the city and how tall everything was and, and et cetera, et cetera. And maybe they were inspired by things like ancient Egypt or Stonehenge that, you know, they thought, I don't know, according to their occulted wisdom, you know, mm-hmm. uh, blah, blah, blah. But uh, it, do, it doesn't do a lot to, uh, unless you're thinking that there's been a group of elites like throughout history that have passed yeah. down this Which like is, secret school. Of course, school. always what they thought. Uh, oh yeah, some yeah. people do think this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, well, in the 70s, yeah. th- there was a book called The Sphinx and the Megaliths, uh, which mm-hmm. linked the Egyptian Sphinx to Stonehenge and other megalithic right. structures. Yeah. Claim they were all, the all built aliens. by yeah. they were all built Atlantans. by a group of quote elite trained people. Okay, I mean they yeah, were, so, but they class. didn't have anything to do with each other, uh, probably. Um, but they probably were built by elite trained people or like planned by elite trained people <laughs> and probably yeah, built yeah. by, uh, yeah, not elite trained people, but like the same people. No, uh, <laughs> no. Uh, but otherwise, yes, just, they weren't the same. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess, you know, uh, these people that were into the earth mysteries movement were also into like ufology and kind of everything we've just been talking about mm-hmm. and neo-paganism as well, naturally and Wicca and stuff like that. Um, yeah, of course. I guess there was the lay hunters club in like the sixties and seventies. And I don't know, like, I mean, yeah, it, you do hear it pop up in like conspiracy culture sometimes, but like, uh, like dude of life said, it's just, uh, you know, the same regurgitated info on R worded YouTube channels with no real leads. That's always been my impression Um, of the talk about ley lines. Like, is there anything else? uh, Well, you know, maybe it's like, well, I think that a big connection could be like astrological concerns because people often like will line up, you know, religious sites (laughs) based on astrology. So by that you would think there actually might be some kind of geometric relationship between monuments or places of significance in different cultures because the sort of uh, celestial relationships are the same consistently assuming yeah. that our earth is in fact round but you know um it, <laughs> of course but, of course yeah i could see yeah. it within within a specific culture like within china or within ancient egypt or something like that that perhaps they're i don't know yeah uh the babylonian empire or something like that uh or the aztecs like you could see like within a kind of um a self-contained belief system and culture, mm-hmm. like different monuments being made to connect to each other, just like Washington, D.C., right? Um, you know, because this was all built by the same people. But the idea that, like, there was a secret order of, like, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, druid priests or something that kind of uh, consulted or directed the construction of everything from Stonehenge to the Sphinx to Gebegli Tepe to 
stuff in you know yeah. ancient China to like the Aztecs is kind of stretching it a little. Unless I guess maybe what they're implying is even if these people were not connected yeah, with they each other, they all had the lines. They, were, they all were attuned to the lines, which are a natural. That's phenomenon. it. The, the lines yeah. are just an objective fact of existence, and these old uh, ancient priest yeah. classes had access to this knowledge, and eventually it was lost. I right. guess. Yeah. Huh. Which I think there's probably some truth to that insofar. Like, I think astrology would be the main things that people would sort of align architecture with in the macro level. And maybe, like, to an extent within a certain geographic region, there might be, like, you know, I mean, like, things are built along rivers. So you might find that, like, way, like rivers that go a really long way, you know, you might find there's a certain correspondence between significant cultures or sorry, significant monuments and different sort of. Uh, cultural spheres like along like a particularly long river maybe uh yeah like the nile coordinate yeah i mean the nile obviously or the uh, tigris and the euphrates yeah or the, i mean the, uh, the indus like of course yeah yeah rivers feng, are very big deal feng shui is something also that comes to mind right like uh yeah i feel yeah. like there's probably feng shui practiced on like i don't really know too much about feng shui historically but Probably on a macro level, you know, you always think of feng shui as being like arranging your furniture in your house or something. Yeah. But uh, probably, like historically speaking, it was more common on a macro level where. Like an urban planning. Strategy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which, you know, Which like. Honestly, having, there's yeah. something to it. Oh, for sure. Right? Yeah. Like on a basic level, like, yeah, you want like urban planning is like an art that you need to like make sure that things are like not only like aesthetically balanced uh but like practically balanced like according to what's optimal like and yeah there's many factors so i think that the ley lines kind of do sort of emerge like from those considerations i think that's kind of probably what like the people who observe the ley lines if they were like oh you know look if you walk along a straight line like all these significant things are here or something like that you know if you walk around this route you know, which of course, like no line is truly straight uh, on it, like on a uh, globular Earth. So again, Ugh, assuming you're, out. Yeah. you know, you're just <laughs> you're being captured by the yeah, by the exactly. Mm, yeah, so, yeah, but uh, but I guess walk, I guess there like, would be know, straight lines if the Earth was flat. Yeah, um, yeah, there. Would yeah, be feng shui is lines. feng shui is about as old as Stonehenge, about thirty five hundred years old. Mm, well, I mean, it's it a pretty basic yeah. concept. You know, it's almost just like reflexive that you want to like put things like in a, a centrally located locate like you know there is a sort of aesthetic sensibility that's natural that enjoys like symmetry maybe uh yeah they also, also a lot of the reason for it was because it was invented before the invention of the magnetic compass so they would use it to basically develop like instruments to judge like directions and stuff mm-hmm like so they would uh they would use circumpolar stars to determine the north south axis of different settlements so i guess it was it was almost a way of like navigation which i guess is also overlaps with astrology in general right mhm and actually wow the magnetic compass was invented for feng shui and has been in use since its invention so we have yeah. feng shui to invent to like thank i guess for the magnetic compass Huh, I that's wonder crazy. if, that's like, the crazy. magnetic compass uh, was, like, invented in a bunch of different places, though. I mean, it's not. It, it says it was invented as a device for divination as early as the Chinese Han Dynasty, circa 206 B.C., and then later adopted for navigation by the Song Dynasty Chinese mm. during the 11th century, and uh, the first usage of a compass in Western Europe and the Islamic world occurred around 1190. 
That makes sense. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy, um, though, that it was around for like a thousand years before huge chunks of the world started using it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's one of the four great inventions of China. The compass, gunpowder, paper making and printing. Mm. Wow. But the PRC has labeled feng shui as superstitious. What? According to Wikipedia. Wow. Um, but uh, I mean, I yeah, know. like before that, definitely like the ancient Egyptians would use like gnomon or uh, noma uh or like sort of sundials to calculate things you know and obviously they would use astrology and i guess the chinese would do that as well how do the flat earth people deal with like magnets and like <laughs> compasses i don't, I, I don't know, even want to i don't even want to know uh i can only imagine well i mean north and south and east and west would still exist right they would just be like absolute directions yeah they wouldn't really be like north they wouldn't be like up or like down, they no, would north be like would just forward, straight up backwards. Be up in that, like north is I guess not you're up. Right. North is just Weird. north, and you know, I guess you're right on the globe. That's true, earth. but yeah. on the flat earth, north really would be up. You're right. Oh my I god. I guess um, that's making. Well, it really depends. Like, where is the flat earth? Like, yeah. where is it located? Like, in a like, is it in a like larger? Are we in a universe? Space? Like, what? Yeah, we, we don't just, know anything. Like, is everything it, just it, really small? And like. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. So I don't know. You need to have a flat earther on to have them explain. What about dowsing rods? Uh, dowsing rods? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, those like people use them to like find ley lines. I, I guess that's probably why you're bringing them up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, the dude the, of the life asked about dude of them. Life mentioned, or them. mentioned them. Oh, I see. Yeah. I know people use dowsing rods to like find water and to find uh, like, you know, maybe gold or other uh, valuable minerals. There might be something yeah. to that. I don't know. Like, uh, and people definitely use dowsing rods to find ghosts as well. They're like, you know, one of the uh, uh, most bare bones ghost hunting tools you can get. You can just use clothes hangers as, as dowsing rods if you want. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't that's right. like. I don't know what principle dowsing rods are supposed to work on. Uh, I definitely have heard of like people being able to like find water in a way that seems almost like preternatural, but yeah, I, it's very unclear exactly. A lot of it is ex- explained away similar to like a Ouija board where it's like micro right. uh, unconscious micro movements, uh, or whatever, mm-hmm. um, basically, uh, move the rod. And I guess that's the kind of divination kind of mechanism of it is that it like wiggles. Right, yeah, or they cross. Like, you hold them apart, and then they cross in your hands uh, when you're, like, in a relevant place, depending on what you're looking for, yeah. Wow, I mean... Damn, in the late 20th and early 21st century, according to Wikipedia, a number of dowsing-like devices were marketed for the modern police and military use, primarily as explosive detectors. (laughs) Wow! But it said that it does. It said that most of those were fraudulent. And yes, exactly. In, in consequence of these yeah. frauds, in 1999, the U.S. National Institute of Justice issued advice against buying equipment based on towsing. All right. Yeah. Okay. Hmm, I don't know. What, it shows a there? picture of skeptic James Randi at a lecture at Rockefeller University in 2008, holding an $800 device advertised as a dowsing instrument. Okay, Rockefeller University, you're really going to be out here like platforming debunkers when like Lawrence Rockefeller is like funding the entire UFO movement. Mm, I, see, uh, I see you. I see y'all out here. This is the MIT article. Iraq they don't want anybody swears, finding the oil. That's this why. This is actually about primitive Muslims, you know, and their belief in, in dowsing. Iraq swears by bomb detector U.S. sees as useless. Despite major bombings that have rattled the nation and fears of rising violence as American troops withdraw, this is from 2009, 
Iraq's security forces have been relying on a device to detect bombs and weapons the United States military and technical experts say is useless. The small handheld wand with a telescopic antenna on a swivel is being used at hundreds of checkpoints in Iraq. But the device works on the same principle as a Ouija board, the power of suggestion, said a retired Air Force officer, Lieutenant Colonel Hal Bidlack, who described the wand as nothing more than an explosive divining rod. Still, wow. the Iraqi government has purchased more than 1,500 of the devices known as the ADE-651 at cost from 16... Uh, well, this is kind of stupid, I guess, if they paid that much money for it. That um, is, wow, $60,000 each. Yeah, woof. The inventor was sentenced to 10 years in prison for fraud <laughs> in 2013, James McCormick. Oof. Wow, it sold them to all kinds of... That's so fucked up to like sell like some defense contractor they put their Britain faith selling in fake bombs. Uh, they should have, yeah, wow, they should have learned, uh, you know, that the shark, they shouldn't have done it. Um, wow, they came up with all kinds of gobbledygook to explain, like, why it works that sounds, like, very professional, like, very serious. That's, that's funny. It's bizarre that people would do that, like, sell people, like, uh, non-functional like bomb detection devices like i almost feel like this is on purpose like the u.s yeah, like like was. either psyoped or strong-armed the iraqi government into buying probably, like a billion yeah. of these so that they wouldn't detect any bombs and like the civil yeah, war and get then worse. We're like, like yeah and then to be like <laughs> these dumbasses like buying the thing that like our defense companies sold them yeah i mean li- listen us, to this yeah uh, yeah listen to this the 80 the ADE-651 was widely used by the Iraqi police service and the Iraqi army. The Iraqi interior ministry bought 800 of the devices in 2008 for 20 million pounds and a further 700 in 2009 for 32 million pounds in no-bid contracts with ATSC. The Iraqi government paid up to 37,000 pounds for the devices, despite the purchase price being put around 11,000 pounds. The Iraqi Army's Baghdad Operations Command announced in November 2009 it had purchased another 100 of the devices... What the hell? Um, and wow, it was a British company that did this, I guess. It's a British yeah. company, and like Iraqi Interior Minister Jawad Al Balani, like publicly defended the use of the ADE. Wow. Yeah, there's a picture of him like defending <laughs> them buying hundreds of these. Wow. Um, what? Okay, here, here's what he said. Oh, I'm sorry. This is a different guy, Major General Jihad Al Jabiri of the Interior Ministry's General Directorate for Combating Explosives, defended the device. Quote. Whether it's magic or scientific, what I care about is detecting bombs. I don't care what they say. I know my, I know more about bombs than the Americans do. In fact, I know more about bombs than anyone in the world. He told a press conference the ADE-651 has detected hundreds of roadside bombs and car bombs, and any deficiencies were due to defective training in the device's use. Hmm. And then the Iraqi interior minister, Al-Balani, told all our Arakia television that the ADE, quote, had managed to prevent and detect more than 16,000 bombs that would be a threat to people's life, and more than 733 car bombs were diffused. Iraq is considered as a market area for many companies providing such services, and there are other rival companies trying to belittle the efficiency of the instruments the government is buying. What the... They sold them to Mexico... They sold them to the Lebanese army, the Chinese police, the Royal Thai police, and the interior ministry of the Kurdistan regional government in Iraqi Kurdistan. Wow. Based. Wow. Uh, so like, what? Uh, I feel like there's something deeper and weirder to like this fucking story. This like is, why are uh, all these politicians like upset buying ley line detectors to 
like yeah and saying they stop bombs when apparently they don't well you know like it's kind of like if you look at it it's kind of like it looks like there's some kind of like there could be some kind of tech in there you know like or something you know people don't really know like phones kind of look like that or something you know like uh no one really knows like what's people don't usually open up their phones you know they might think there's some kind of like highly attuned metals or something in the machine like you know so like it's it's not like if you're sold something like there is a it's a confidence trick basically it works on a lot of people like uh this is a crazy uh little anecdote a whistleblower who worked to sell the device around the world with McCormick, uh, who I guess was the inventor, told the BBC that he once challenged McCormick over the device's effectiveness. McCormick was said to have answered that the device did exactly what it was meant to do. It makes money. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> this guy is like, this, so this is evil. like boy um, boss uh, Elizabeth Holmes right here with like yeah. Theranos, you know, like actually working for the Pentagon uh, yes. on some shady bullshit, but has a, dev- a wonder device that doesn't actually work. This is so like how many people probably died because like Iraq, uh, the Iraqi government was using this. I don't know. I guess it doesn't matter because it, it did what it was supposed to do. It made money. Yeah. I feel like this is on purpose. They wanted more bombs to go off to like cripple Iraq. That was also right after America left. They're like, Hey, we know this really great yeah, defense contractor some, in Britain. Like, you guys should totally buy all your, scanning devices from them uh when we leave so you don't get blown up every five seconds and then boom this is truly amazing hassan muhammad an iraqi police officer and user of the ade 651 described the proper use of the device as more of an art than a science if we are tense the device doesn't work correctly i start slow and relax my body and try to clear my mind well you know i wonder if like you're actually like you know being attentive and like meditating like a dowsing rod could help you find probably it can like you know you're kind is of this like, like a vibes yourself. detector exactly yeah like you're basically <laughs> like you using like your intuition to uh you know find these things like when with, somebody drives of, up to it's a the placebo point, can... effect basically like you're you think you have this kind of like advanced device so or like you're using it as like you're basically using it as a magic wand in a way like it is a magic wand you're using it to channel like you know your own intuition your own uh, super century perception so maybe that guy had a point maybe it did kind of work but probably like a clothes hanger that is like uh 50 (laughs) cents would work just as well (laughs) yeah Um, at this point you don't need to charge people twenty thousand pounds for each one (laughs) and it probably doesn't work as well as like something that actually detects bombs (laughs) probably not i think uh, safe to say say. yeah Uh, it's notable that israel uh bought some and then kicked it out of the country and we're like no like because you know they they detect their bombs very professionally right so yeah you know they always have that mirror thing they weren't like oh it's saying you have a bomb like better fucking put your head off like (laughs) that is kind of surprising uh, actually uh the cards were but anyway uh the cards were supposedly programmed or activated by being placed in a jar for a week along with a sample of the target substance to absorb the substances quote-unquote vapors so uh mccormick would use his own blood to program the cards for detecting human tissues but eventually gave up even the pretense of programming them when demand for the devices was at its peak. So this guy was, like, doing, like, blood magic to, like, encode these these dowsing rods. Oh, my God. (sighs) What? Wow. So I didn't know the ley lines were going to take us there exactly. Yeah, pretty interesting. There you go. Uh, I mean, not unserious, apparently. Millions of dollars have been spent. uh, Yeah, well, you know, it just shows, like, in a a panic, uh, like, after 9-11, you know, all the kind of crazy stuff that can be laundered onto people. 
This is literally like security theater. Absolutely, yeah. Wow. I mean, probably, like, to be honest, like, this is almost like the Bernie Madoff of security theater. It's kind of like the scapegoat yeah. when there's, like, probably <laughs> tons of stuff just like this that we go, like, go about our lives tolerating, which is just as fraudulent. Oh, absolutely. I, yeah. I can only imagine the kinds of things that, like, don't even fucking work that make, like, hundreds of millions of dollars on, like, Pentagon contracts. Yeah, probably the reason why people noticed this was because, like, uh, it could be used to, like, say, like, oh, look how dumb these people, like, outside of the United States are. Um, yeah, whereas definitely. like, you know, and yeah. Um, and also debunk the paranormal because when they found out it was like basically a dousing rod, it's like time for fact check. Like yeah. basically he, he fucked up in that way. He should have come up with a different fake. So yeah, dousing rods it. work, but, uh, <laughs> you know, this, was they work at making money in like a really, they work at making money. Way. Yeah. Wow. It's true. He was able to use the dousing rods to find treasure. Um, just in yeah. a very, to find oil. Even. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, that's why the Rockefeller University had to shut it down because they want they they want to keep the secrets of all that oil. They don't want people yeah. running around psyoping themselves into finding oil or whatever the fuck however the mm. fuck it works. Yeah, you ain't seen my best checkmate in a game of chess. Globalist, see me as a threat. Free thinking, got the world at my neck, huh? And my paranoid picture, Malcolm X in a room full of pigs trying not to bust a sweat. Hey, Neil Tyson need to loosen up his vest. They probably write that man one hell of a check. Hey, I'm over here on this side of town. Come on over, 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 over here, try to clown. Hey, I never pipe down. If they weren't coming for me, then they definitely coming for me now. I can't even keep my phone charged up All the shit I'm talking, I should get my own barred up Rappers, get off of my dick and get your own bars up Vladimir and Liz's breath, got the clone skirt Cause whoop, use your, use, use your common sense Why is NASA part department of defense? They divided up the seas into 33 degrees Feeding kids masonry, bruh, be careful what you read Flatline, flatline It's no superior bloodline Flatline, flatline you got me once, but that died. Ay, voice, voice. Do I have a voice? Do I give a fuck? Do I have a choice? Joint, joint. I roll up a joint. Keep my shooters in the game like I hate to disappoint. I see only good things on the horizon. That's probably why the horizon is always rising. Indoctrinated in a cult called science. And graduated to a club full of liars. Heliocentrism, you were the sixth victim. Fuck you and your team, you can sit on the bench with them. They nervous. But before you try to curve it, do your research on David Irving. Stalin was way worse than Hitler. That's why the POTUS gotta wear a kipper. I'm a man first for an artist. Did a lawyer look up Dr. Richard Sarda? Fans, flatline. You fools for the last time. Flatline, flatline. There's no superior bloodline. So you want to find the farthest point from that center. And it turns out sea level at the equator is farther away from the center of the Earth than sea level near the poles. It has nothing to do with global warming and melting of the ice caps. Why is that? Because Earth, we know it spins once a day. Yes, thank you. Three people know the, <laughs> how long a day last year. Good for row number two. They're <laughs> off to a great start. So, so you spin, you know, when you spin pizza dough, it kind of flattens out. Yeah. It gets wider in the middle. And So Earth, throughout its life, even when it formed, it was spinning. And it got a little wider at the equator than it does at the poles. So it's not actually a sphere. It's an it's oblate. 
and officially it's an oblate spheroid. That's what we call it. But not only that, it's slightly wider below the equator than above the equator. A little chubbier. A little chubbier. Yeah. Chubby's a good word. It's like pear-shaped. Yeah. So it turns out the pear-shapedness is bigger than the height of Mount Everest above sea level. Bounce. Flatline, foolish for the last time. Flatline, flatline, is no superior bloodline. Do you want to read question number four? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Still slightly connected, I guess. Oh, yeah. Just, no can you guys talk about the Kyle Odom case from 2016 and his manifesto about Martians? Yeah, uh, I remember this. Um, I remember hearing about it like on some like paranormal type podcasts too. Yeah. Uh, the name rings a bell, but I always get it mixed yeah. up with like Lamar Odom. Hmm. But uh, who I think I don't know who Lamar something. Odom is. Uh, Maybe I'm getting oh, he's a basketball mixed up player. with Kyrie Irving uh, who talked about Flat Earth. But uh, yeah. Um, hmm. He was on Keeping Up with the Kardashians. He was married to one of the Kardashians and I think he had... God, he I think he had an overdose at a brothel in Nevada. He okay. was one of those guys who like it, it, he seemed to get the Kardashian curse, you know. But yeah, one but we first. didn't we didn't actually confuse these two people. It would be funny no. if we did and we just started talking about Lamar Odom like this yeah, whole time. Right. It's like no. But, but uh, uh no. Uh, yeah, he was very specific. It's about Kyle Odom and his manifesto about Martians, which uh, you can find on online. Uh if you search Kyle Odom, you can read the whole manifesto which uh, is pretty interesting, uh, has some some choice quotes. So basically what this guy did was he shot like a pastor, uh, like a pretty prominent pastor um, in the, what where was he? He was in Idaho? Idaho, Idaho. I think yeah. it was in Coeur d'Alene, mm-hmm. Idaho. Yeah, uh, he was a pretty prominent, like he had done an invocation for Ted Cruz like that day. Um, or yeah, the day before or something like that. The yeah. day before he was shot by Kyle Odom six times in the back and in the head. Did um, he survive? Yes, he survived. Oh. And he's like, you know, better than you would think. Um, you know, almost and suspiciously. Then, no, just, just, uh, yeah. but well, then he didn't he also then drive to Washington, DC and then yes, do and something. he threw some suspicious objects over the fence at the White House um before being detained by the Secret Service. And then he was sent back to Idaho for like to face justice for what he did there. Yes. Um, but no one really ever said what this what the uh what the objects were. Well, he wrote, you know, his manifesto basically is about how he's been for years like stalked by hypersexual Martians. Yeah. Um, who like, yeah, they're like obsessed with like tormenting him like psychologically and also like sexually all the time and like, you know, treating him kind of as a sex slave. He has a bullet point list that, you know, might be good for sort of the uh the truncated podcast format just to give the rundown of uh, Higechi gives a list. Why did he do it? And he says, my life was ruined, ruined by an intelligent species of an of amphibian humanoid from Mars. I wish I was joking. Keep reading. Bullet point one. They were here long before we ever existed. Bullet point two. Their technology is millions of years more advanced than ours. I've seen them do things that defy all comprehension. Bullet point three. They have a massive breeding stock of humans, which they breed and control from birth. They use these quote unquote humans to live vicarious lives among us. They appear to be completely normal because they're good at imitating human behavior. See Martian technology for explanation on this. This is another section. Uh, The actual Martians live deep underground here and inside of the moon. 
Uh, they take control of wild human beings and use them as sex slaves. Don't believe me? Ask President Obama to take a lie detector test on this one. Uh, that jumped out to me. I guess you know maybe he's, he's just using an idiom or a turn of phrase. I feel like they could probably beat the lie detector, which is, but anyway, uh, they tried to take, talk about something that's like borderline fraud. But anyway, they tried to take me, but they were unable to control my mind. They've been following me ever since. Uh, I tried everything to get my life back. I begged, bargained, and I threatened. Everything they tried to do was sabotaged. I attempted suicide twice, but they stopped me both times. My last resort was to take actions that would bring this to the public's attention. So, mm-hmm. yeah, basically, he was convinced that this guy who he shot, uh, Ted Remington, I want to say, mm-hmm. uh, Ted, so, yeah, Remington, was uh, like a Martian, uh, was one of the Martians. And yeah, uh, he was one of the Martians. And uh, yeah. He tells live a bunch underground of, and also it's very they live like they yeah it's they, pretty they, they live shift. yeah or right. I, it's it's unclear if they they shape shift or also they breed humans to be kind of their servants on he above explains ground. it at a certain point he says that let me see if I can find it uh, humans are nothing more than a result of a genetic experiment you are a threat to the way these people think and you can no longer be free in society these are some of the messages he got from the Martians your life is over you are nothing but a toy. Your only purpose is to suck. Yeah, they anyway, they so, did, they molested him a lot. Apparently, yeah, they want him. They wanted him as a sex slave. Um, Literally, that's what they said. "Quote: We want you, yeah. to be mm-hmm. a sex slave. Um, yeah, we want you as our sex slave. Um, yeah, he he describes like, I guess you know he went to he went yeah, to these college. Aliens like are just yeah they're they're uh, inexhaustible. Like they really are horny. Like they want. Yeah they need constant sex uh and they yeah he says the females would just like stimulate him while the males would do something else the females stimulate uh he actually redacted it when they are close and the males stimulate uh redacted it's incredibly exhausting and they can manipulate his heart rate and flood his body with adrenaline so basically they can keep him going um You know, yeah. So yeah. he he graduated from the University of Idaho, and then he got an offer to enter a PhD program in human genetics at the Baylor College of Medicine. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> kind of like a James Holmes. Well, he also was program. an ex Marine, right? And he was he an ex Marine military. Yeah. Yes, he was. So that is that's a bit of a red flag. That's a flag and- right there. How many mass shooters who were ex military <laughs> said they had voices in their head telling them like. Well, the other thing that weapon and go the thing that I think, yeah, the thing that I think really drove him nuts was that like, you know, he for whatever. So he obviously was having like these sort of uh, experiences or like visions, but like before this happened. But uh, what I think really kind of set him down the path to what he eventually did was that he he said that he applied to several government agencies before this happened. So uh, and he, you know, was, uh, on a plane. Um, oh, yeah. and yeah, like, uh, he kept looking back at a, uh, you know, an older gentleman in front of him and, uh, or an older gentleman in front of him kept looking back and his heart began, his head began to hurt and tingle. And the moment my head began to hurt, his lips curled into this evil looking smile. The pain and tingling in my head continued for the rest of the flight and got more intense as time went on. Every time I felt it, the man would start taking notes in a notepad. About halfway through the flight, someone in front of me held up a newspaper that said psychic reading for like five minutes straight. It was blatantly obvious they were doing something to me, but I didn't know what. Once we landed, the older gentleman kept showing me his track phone as if to say, get one of these. It's like a burner phone kind of. Yeah, so like, yeah. 
Uh, so what's weird is he thought like, because he had applied to work for government agencies, he thought that they were like trying to contact him and tell him to get a track phone. So he got one and he just waited. And then someone did call the phone that he bought, which is like, gonna, you know, that is something that would, uh, I think if you're already kind of prone to being paranoid or thinking that someone's watching you, yeah, like the fact that you would get a text on your, on the burner phone you got where you didn't give anybody the number like that would be odd, but it turned out to be, well, you know, the non-Martian explanation is that somehow he ended up on an email list from like basically this guy who worked at a church, John Pedula, the same, I guess he was connected with Tim Remington, the same church, right? Yeah. Uh, called The Altar, which is a bit of a weird mm, name for a quite church. Quite a name. Yeah, quite a name. You know, churches do have altars, but, um, you know. I yeah. know the Protestant churches get like very kind of hip and fancy with like their name. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, like the flock or something would be like a church in like LA. I guess it's <laughs> so, really you know called I mean? like, is it really called altar church? No, it's called the altar. The All altar. Right. John All Padilla, right. the mm-hmm. altar. Doesn't help. Not to victim blame them for getting, uh, you know, shot by this guy, but uh, that probably didn't help matters in Kyle Odom's mind, uh, whatever yeah. was going on. And this uh, is in Lane, the uh, the altar church. And, do you remember uh, the song? The This is one of my favorite parts of the manifesto where he says, um, after making the appointment to meet John, something very bizarre happened. I received the most unnatural blank I have ever had. It felt like someone was manually pumping blood into my uh, redacted, but we we know what it is, a certain organ. I don't know how else to describe it. Immediately after that, a song began playing in my mind. The lyrics went, sister, sister, he's just a plaything. We want to make him stay up all night. <laughs> I'd never heard the song before, and I had no idea what it meant. I tried to ignore it and kept searching for jobs. A few minutes later, the song uh, kept playing. Nothing else happened until I tried to go to sleep that night. As soon as I got into bed, the song started again. Sister, sister, he's just a play thing. We want to make him stay up all night. So This gets darker uh, because then he he couldn't sleep all night. And like every time he tried to sleep, yeah, the song would play. But then yeah. in the morning, he thought it was over until a voice entered his head. And the voice mm-hmm. said, quote, you're going to be uncomfortable. All you have to do is breathe. I sat there wondering what this meant until the voice spoke again. It told me I was going to, quote, be sacrificed like Jesus and get beheaded. This threw me into a complete panic. My heart began racing and I started to have a mental breakdown. A few minutes later, some man knocked on my door. I answered and he gave me a pamphlet talking about the sacrifice of Jesus. My mind started racing out of control and I became completely delirious. I thought for sure I was going to die. Wow. So he thought about his family and all he could think about was seeing them again. They were in Albuquerque. So he decided to buy a one-way ticket there. This is also sketchy again. This is very like sus, like scanners, the fury shit. When he got to Mm -hmm. the Spokane airport, his panic subsided. Everything was fine until I got on the plane to Albuquerque. I sat next to this huge man who kept telling me telepathically that he was going to crash the plane. Every time after he spoke, he would sniff emphatically. I didn't know what to do, so I just sat there trying to stay as calm as possible. The, he puts in quotes, man became angry about this and started touching my leg. The second he touched me, I could feel him inside my mind. This caused me to panic until I was on the verge of causing a scene. Before I did anything, he told me to calm down and said, you did a great job. You passed. Go enjoy your family. We have a job waiting for you when you get back. I thanked him and felt slightly relieved, but I had no intention of contacting him at all. Wow. Uh, so he I, he keeps getting followed, I guess, after he gets to Albuquerque. And 
everyone's sniffing like as they follow yeah. him. That seems to be what he notices. Um, he thinks that it has something to do with dominance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like uh, a dog or something. Yeah, it's interesting because like, I mean, you know, he even acknowledges that he is like the Martians are causing him to have hallucinations and to see things that aren't there, which is, you know, so it's not, you know, he's making it like, you know, he thinks the Martians are in fact there, you know, so this but is like psyoping him. Yeah. But they're making him experience like schizophrenic type, uh, you know, symptoms. Yeah. I mean, this is uh, very creepy, like gang stalking, like it is very classic type. gang stalking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you don't usually see this Martian twist on it. Occasionally. It's sometimes you see reptoids or something. Aliens. Yeah. Martians yeah. less so, but I mean, you know, uh, his description of the church is creepy too. When he, it could, he got telepathic messages by them saying like, go to church if you want us to leave your, leave you alone. So he decided to go to the altar. And when he went for the first time, the people acted very strange. It was inhuman. As I walked into the sermon room, everyone stared at me and began sniffing emphatically. Needless to say, I was scared as hell, but I took a seat. When the service began, a man came and sat down next to me. After he sat down, I began smelling something. It was a smell I had never smelt before. The only thing I can compare it to is a reptile in vinegar. After smelling it, I became very uncomfortable. I tried to remain calm and just sat there quietly until the service was over. When it ended, they said, you can leave now. After that, I knew I wasn't dealing with the government anymore. I realized that whoever I was dealing with was extraterrestrial, so I became very scared. Jeez. Yeah, and then after that, he would, uh, you know, he would be tormented by these aliens and would be hearing their voices all the time, you know, telling Mm -hmm. him that he's a sex slave, his purpose is to suck. And then, you know, he, I guess he had a suicide attempt, but he felt that it was prevented by the Martians. And that was when he encountered Tim uh, Remington face to face in connection with this church. And uh, he was telling me that I should consider becoming a minister. We were in mid conversation when he suddenly revealed himself to me. I have no clue how he did it, but it looked as if his human face became his real face. It happened for only one to two seconds, but I was able to draw a sketch of what I saw. And uh, yeah, he included the sketch of the manifesto. His eyes really stood out. So they captured my attention. They were huge and bulging. The eyelids were darker green and the irises were yellow brown with slit pupils. After witnessing this, nothing else happened. I continued attending the altar for a few more services, waiting for them to do something. They did nothing except for tell me to submit and surrender. I had no clue what they meant. So I left the church and never went back. Yeah. yeah. The, the picture of uh, Remington unmasked is really something. Yes, he has like kind of a, yeah, he kind of looks like one of those dinosaurs that like the horn dinosaurs. Like the herbivore dinosaurs with like the spiky tail honk and like in Jurassic Park. Yeah. Oh yeah, he kind of looks like a stegosaurus. Kind of like a Pokemon or something. It looks a little bit like he could be a Pokemon. He's not quite reptoid. He's not really a gray. Yeah, uh, you can look it up for yourself. He gives some descriptions of them. Uh, Huge eyes that stuck out of the sockets, yellow brown iris, projecting muzzle with 45 degree angled nostrils. Huge mouth, dark green skin. Oh, yeah. And uh, they kind of look like a Muppet, according to him. And they would say, like, Elmo rules the world. And they kept saying that to him because, like, they were taunting him with their Muppet appearance. Oh, my God. Are Muppets in this whole thing? I have a photographic memory, so I was able to remember what I saw. Although I remember the general appearance because each time I saw them, it was very brief. They would smile at me in stores and reveal their mouth, eyes, nose, all separately, never to get at the same time. No. So, yeah. Uh, I forget why I remember like the gist of it, but I'm not sure. I forget where it is in the manifesto that he explains like how the Martians do, but I feel like they basically he does like, like kind of Q and a hollow out the people 
and like they possess them kind of like the people are you know like they were human but now they're um, yeah, he he draws a distinction between wild humans that are normal people right. like you and I, and then people like mm-hmm. Tim and John, whose minds were controlled from birth by Martians. Right. They're yes. they're they were grown in like the cloning center, basically mm-hmm. the underground cloning center. Yeah, and he he has this like Q and A. Um, you probably appreciate uh, why would aliens hide in a church? Same reason terrorists hide in mosques. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah, that to jump out at me. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, once a marine, always at Semper Fi. Uh, yeah, exactly. True, Semper Fi. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. So. Yeah, it's almost like his programming to like destroy everyone in a mosque, uh, like malfunctions. Um, exactly. Searching for a new target, like. Amy yeah. the robot on Red Planet. And you know, the Martians do have kind of like that little headwear, the kind of, you know, you almost Antenna? kind of like tur- turban-like or uh, oh, Fez-like oh, perhaps. Mm, uh, interesting. Yeah. That's her wires getting crossed here. Yeah. 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 He says yeah. they have a breeding stock of remote control humans. Physically, their humans are no different than us. They just lack a mind of their own. So basically, I mean, they're NPCs, like controlled by Martians so, but Tim and John are Martians. It, well, so, they're so, like they're like clone babies that were raised from mm-hmm. Earth to be just vessels for like you know the entity. Their entity possessed uh, humans, basically, that are controlled. They're just puppets of the Martians. They're Muppets, basically. But they're not. Wow, Martians they are themselves. Muppets. Yeah, they're not. But how come his face transform into a face of a Martian? That's a good. That's a good point. But I guess he says their technology is millions of years ahead of ours. So like that kind of explains the strange things he saw that he can't really describe. Uh, he thinks they maybe can, they have like an astral body that's like inhabiting the body, the skin suit of the human. And that's yeah, what he saw. Yeah, maybe um, he says that <laughs> yeah. he he's seen them make things appear out of nowhere. Uh, one time he was sitting on a couch and a dollar bill appeared on his lap. They use random unsuspecting items. So no one would think any anything of it. And uh, he said, I'm pretty sure they can pop in and out of this dimension based on other things I've seen. I'm also pretty sure they can overlap our reality with an alternate dimension. Interesting. I say this because I've gone into stores where I know the employees and suddenly there are all new employees who I've never seen before. Wow. That's bizarre. Um, and he, but he also That's does kind mention, of like an Andrew Getty, uh, evil within type of, uh, yeah, like, fr- where's, fruit, my, like where's, where's my, where's my leader? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, well, he, yeah. You know, I don't think we mentioned it though, that like after he was in the Marines, but before he went to college and started getting, uh, opened up to these influences, he got really into meditation and that he claims that's why he has yeah. such like advanced kind of like psychic yeah, and abilities. Yeah, he started to have like profound thoughts about genetics uh, that yeah. were like beyond what normal people could know. And that's why the Martians he, were interested in him. Partially. He says that if certain ways of thinking are allowed to exist, revolutions will take place. They could not afford for us to have a revolution in genetics. If we did, we could eliminate diseases, <laughs> cancers, and many other things that plague us. Many yeah. other things that plague us. They uh, need us to remain ignorant and continue struggling. Otherwise, we will become a threat to them. So they want to keep us sick and, you know. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, I like his, his note to Barack Obama. It's amazing. Uh, <laughs> I was just going to say we should read yeah. that too. Yeah. Uh, th- it uh, says at the top in parentheses, this will not make sense unless you were the president or one of his close friends. If this doesn't pertain to you, please ignore it. Well, yeah. I'm not going to ignore well, it. Exactly. Yeah. He, sorry. he puts it in like a bullet point, kind of just a list of bullet points. Um, Mr. President, I want to thank you for your sacrifice to this country. It's very upsetting to hear you talk about the things they do to you. Why do you let them? 
I suppose you have no other choice. I've been struggling with them myself for over a year now. I had nothing to lose, so I chose this instead. I could never tolerate that much abuse. I hope you don't take any of their threats too seriously. Everything is a game to them. Realize they consider the entire human race a plaything, including you. They brag to me about what they do to you. Lots of dot, 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 dot. <laughs> I'm sure you already know, but he doesn't love you. Their brains don't even work that way. I don't know you personally, but they've shown me a lot about you. You're an amazing person. I hope you stop letting them humiliate you. Why be afraid to retaliate? Kennedy wasn't. Well, I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like, yeah. well, yeah, that, that, that he died. Um, it's yeah. time someone took a stand to end this nonsense. Can you think of a better legacy than that? What's worse, having everyone know the reality of the situation or watching some of our best and brightest become slaves? I wish you the very best for the remainder of your presidency. If you're still in there, stay strong. <laughs> if you're yeah, still in there. Yeah, then he has a there. YouTube video, which I wish I knew what it was, but. Is it taken uh, down now? Is, of course it was taken down. Oh, yeah. 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 Wow. If you're still in there. So he, I guess he's heard that Barack Obama might have been possessed by. Mm -hmm. Anyways. Yeah. And he talks about Martian brain and behavior. They're hypersexual, hyperaggressive, fearful, and paranoid. Uh, they're, yeah. Uh, I guess they have oh. an enlarged amygdala, very much like reptoids basically yes they are very much like but it's interesting they have a large amygdala because isn't that the seat of emotion kind of or like something like that um i always thought the amygdala was like the reptile brain or maybe i'm thinking of a different oh maybe, like, I'm maybe it's like the, you know maybe they call it the reptilian brain because it's like you know uh the emotional response and not the logical response because i thought amygdala was like you know what makes you afraid right like I think I think it's like the core thing of like like fear response like yeah like core impulse fear system in the human body okay yes yeah so uh, they think yeah why would have, reptiles have an enlarged amygdala they're not afraid of anything they, well that but I mean they're that's why they're hypersexual hyper aggressive hyper fearful oh, and paranoid like that's why yeah so they're just like okay so I found out what the video that uh, Kyle Odom attached apparently was it was. <laughs> Need to breathe, uh, brother. Feet Gavin DeGraw. It's a country music video. Huh. I'm looking up the lyrics right now rather than watching the entire thing. Need to breathe is the name of the song. Brother is the artist, and Gavin DeGraw is featured. Ramblers in the wilderness. We can't find what we need. We get a little restless from the searching. Get a little worn down in between, like a bull chasing the matador. Is the man left to his own schemes? Everybody needs someone beside him, shining like a lighthouse from the sea. Brother, let me be your shelter. I'll never leave you alone. I can be the one you call when you're low. Wow. This is what he, this is the message that he wanted Obama to hear. Wow. Brother, let me be your shelter. Wow. He was trying to support him because he knows he, he was tormented by, by the Martians as well. Wow. Wow. I like the, the description, the, the drawing of his, of the teeth. It just looks yeah. like a, it does look like a kind of Muppet or like a duck. Yeah, they're like very spaced out. Yeah. Very okay. No, noteworthy Martians. He has a list here of mm -hmm. who of political leaders and stuff. Nancy uh, Pelosi. Mm -hmm. Naturally. Uh, Liz Warren, hilarious. Of course, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, well, she did that DNA test and yeah, they that's what they found. She was like one percent Native American, ninety-nine percent. <laughs> Um, yeah, that was the misdirection. Um, yeah, yeah. Mitch McConnell. Mostly, mostly Mitch McConnell looks already like one of these things. He looks like uh, a turtle. Yeah. So, yeah. And they Tim look Scott, a lot like turtles. Um, yeah. Dick mm -hmm. Durbin, Patty Murray. A lot of just like, I guess all the centrist senators are kind of, you know, um, a lot of Congress. Yeah, people, not too I many suppose. senators, but a lot of people in the House of Representatives. But 
you know, the big Martian hub is Israel. Naturally, uh, yeah. Every said, prime minister since list. 1948. Yeah, there, there are many others from Israel. Too many to list. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I guess they're that. not all elite. Like some of them work blue collar jobs. They, they could just be normal people, but they yeah. also they are control the our government, our military and corporate America as well. They mm-hmm. keep track of every wild human on the planet and manage us like animals in a zoo. Our freedom is a carefully crafted illusion. Wow. Martians yeah. are ubiquitous. Dear God. Damn. Uh, but something that I found to be interesting in this whole manifesto was this part, like where he talks about the Martian brain and behavior. You know, as you said, they, uh, they're they hypersexual, they're hyperaggressive, and they're fearful and paranoid. Um, the Martians must have an analogous amygdala, you know, uh, and it must be greatly enlarged. The morphology of their brain is also markedly different from ours. I know because I've seen what the amphibian humanoids look like. The males are extremely aggressive. In their society, there is only one thing, and that is power. Whoever is the smartest, biggest, and strongest wins. One time I was talking to a young male uh, who kept trying to intimidate slash scare me. I saw that I was still, he saw that I was still confident in myself and immediately became discouraged. He stopped what he was doing and said, you think you're better than me, then hung his head and walked away. I told him that wasn't true, but he wouldn't listen. After this, every time I encountered one of the males in public, they would attack me mentally until they destroyed my self-esteem. They did this because they are scared to death of my intelligence. The only way they have the confidence to talk with me is if I'm scared for my life or completely despondent. To the males, everything is black or white. There is no middle ground. They are power-hungry megalomaniacs obsessed with control. They are not 100, if they are not 100% in control of every situation, they panic. If something happens, they aren't anticipating. They get very upset. They hate surprises. I know this because I was smart enough to trick them a few times. And then he says, uh, this is kind of the key part to me. To recap, the males are megalomaniacal, obsessed with sex, extremely aggressive, fearful and paranoid, power hungry, obsessed with control. And so then he says, sound familiar? And I'm like, yeah, uh, human beings, uh, <laughs> like human males. Um, yeah. But like he, the way he goes with it is like, do you, who else do you know who has these characteristics? Uh, and he says, if you answer God from the Bible, you are correct. Martians are responsible for the God myth. Martians may have created humans as they claim, but they are certainly not gods themselves. They are just another intelligent species that evolved on a neighboring planet. There is no God. There is no heaven. There is no hell. Earth is as close to heaven as we'll ever get, and we are letting the Martians ruin it. They are going to destroy Earth just like they destroyed Mars if we let them. Our survival rests in their hands for the time being. So, yeah, I thought that that was like a weird dodge. I mean, I feel like, yeah, he kind of has a point in that, like the way that human beings imagine gods usually are inflected by the way that like human beings are like, uh, you know, they imagine like God to be kind of jealous uh, because human beings tend to have a certain jealousy, but you know, these attributes sort of are uh, modes of relationality that are based in our nature. I mean, it's a bit more complicated than that, but I don't know. I feel like it's interesting that he was like, look at all these weird characteristics that Martians have, but really it's just like, you know, any like uh, fortune 500 CEO or like, you know, tons of like men in our like uh, malfunctioning society. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, really it could theoretically describe him megalomaniacal. Like he, you know, has a very high opinion of his intelligence. So he's kind of has a world historical role obsessed with sex. Like, you know, maybe assuming that the Martians are a real phenomenon, like maybe that has to do with like their uh, sexual torment of him, but he certainly like, you know, uh, manifests that a lot, Uh, extremely aggressive. You know, he shot a guy 
fearful yeah. and paranoid, definitely true. Power hungry, that's, obsessed with control. You know? Yeah, uh, yeah, that's true. Though he thought he was, you know, saving the world, but every Marine is world, yeah, to expose to it. But yeah, I mean, it seems like naive to think that, you know, I mean, certainly like uh, Israeli prime ministers have been shot, right? Like, yeah, uh, uh, Itzhak Rabin. Itzhak Rabin, yeah, he yeah. comes to mind right away. Mm-hmm, um, exactly. But was he? Yeah, was he? What? Yeah, yeah. Now he was after the the point where he says that every prime minister, yeah, every since 1948. Yeah, so Itzhak Rabin was definitely a Martian. Yeah. Well, I guess so, but maybe he was. But he know, wasn't revealed Martian. as a Martian upon being killed. Hmm. No, they, well, you think he would go into that if they're schismatic Martians? That seems like, an well, but they're not going to blow up the whole game by talking about Martians. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I noticed that the past. Well, I mean, the, Kyle would have, right? He would have mentioned oh, schismatic. Martians. I guess so. Yeah, yeah. but uh, are you saying he was a Martian and didn't even realize it? No, I'm saying that Yitzhak. Uh, I mean, like if he knew that there were schismatic Martians, Kyle should have said something, right? Like they're not all bad, kind of thing. Well, if he knew that there, like, you know, if there, if there were, he probably would have mentioned it. Like, but I guess, you know, maybe he didn't know about that, but how did he know that Yitzhak Rabin was a Martian and not know that he was a schismatic Martian and not realize that shooting a Martian doesn't like, I don't think, I I would venture to guess he's not aware of like Yitzhak Rabin's assassination at all. You're probably right. Every, yeah, yeah, you're, Israeli you're is probably right. You're probably <laughs> like, right. Like, I think we're yeah, overthinking okay. this. Fair um, enough. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, I, I did, did, I did um, notice the guy he shot is like a state uh, representative. In yes, Idaho I did read a, that hmm. article. Uh, yeah, I believe. Yes, I wrote a no in the margins of the <laughs> article when I found him because, uh, yeah, pastor who survived church shooting uh, is Idaho's newest lawmaker. Sometimes the Lord opens doors we do not expect. There were some, you know, not to uh, not to sus jacket or Martian jacket this guy who <laughs> probably is totally normal uh, and like you know it seems like he's trying to do the good Christian thing and like forgive Kyle Odom for shooting him six times and kind of like fucking up his life, uh, you know, because yeah. it did take him time to recover and everything. But mm-hmm. he did say some uh, interesting things in one article that I found. Uh, yeah, he says. Um, as he starts his new role in government, Remington plans to take a closer look at the recently introduced anti-abortion bill, which aims to make all abortions illegal in the state of Ohio. He feels that one needs a lot more discussion before decisions are made. Another big passion of his is a bill that aims to give addicted juveniles a resource for recovery. Uh, yeah, he says this is something he's been working for years with the Department of Health and Welfare. Now he's working with other lawmakers from Northern Idaho to move the bill forward. Uh, and this is the quote that I was like, eh. We have 100 beds for adults. We have zero for juveniles because they won't let us, Remington said. If we had it for juveniles, we could get these juveniles without government overreach into what we're doing. We could get to these juveniles and save their lives. Yeah, we've got to okay, get to these yeah, juveniles without saying, government overreach. Not, uh, not saying, I mean, not a great quote. Yeah, I'm sure that if Kyle were still you know, on the hunt, that wouldn't do much to uh, allay his suspicions or concerns. But uh you know, uh, I'm going to operate under the assumption that uh, despite being probably like sus evangelical who like loves Ted Cruz, uh, he's yes. like not a Martian. Well, you know, I guess not. I guess not. we'll see. Uh, we'll I see. Mean, he also, yeah, he like forgives. Out. I guess they they diagnosed Kyle That's with nice schizophrenia. Of but it's also just what a Martian would do. It kind of is. You can I see mean, them like smirking at him like, don't I forgive you, Kyle. Like, <laughs> you know, we still want you as our sex slave. Like, yeah, you can't exactly. hurt us. You're Poor guy. They have him medicated now. So now he admits that he made Yeah, he up. realizes now he's schizophrenic. Yeah, they broke yeah. him. Mm-hmm. They, brought, they, they brought him in to the fold. 
They did. Just like he said to Obama, if you're still in there, keep fighting. But yeah, yeah. well, are, Kyle, yeah, his... if you're still in there, I mean, like, yeah, don't shoot fighting. anybody, but like, keep fighting spiritually, I guess. Yeah, um, do not shoot anyone else. As we've seen, it does not work. No, it has not no, it succeeded in exposing doesn't. the Martians. Uh, not a single time. Yeah. You so focused on who fucking who, you don't realize who fucking you. You so sucker than the who fucking who, you don't realize who fucking you. Motherfucker, been over. Been over. Grab your ankles, touch your knees, been over. Been over. Been over. Grab your ankles, touch your knees, been over. Motherfucker, You so focused on who fucking who, you don't realize who fucking you. So sucker in the who fucking who you don't realize who fucking you motherfucker been on Just talking about who you fucking kidding I do this for a fucking living Private life, public life I can tell the fucking difference I'm from the city, people love to visit Every square foot, a hundred bitches Hoes horn, it ain't nothing new If I ain't hit it, someone hit it Bob, it's more than life than money riches it's more than like to fuck them bitches. Screenshots, ass shots, and some rock shots. That's why I don't trust them bitches. She ain't friendly with the mother bitches. All they is to her is competition. She just won't be complimented. She just want a hundred million followers. Back it up, bend it over on the side list. On your back, knees up, gynecologist. And you know who stays anonymous. Put it together, then it's obvious. But you so focused on who fucking who, you don't realize who fucking you. You so sucker than the who fucking who, you don't realize who fucking you. Motherfucker, pin over. Pin over. Grab your ankles, touch your knees, pin over. Motherfucker, pin over. Pin over. Grab your ankles, touch your knees, pin over. Motherfucker. You be bugging off a of who fucking who, you don't realize who fucking you. You be bugging off a of who fucking who, you don't realize who fucking you. Motherfucker, been over. Bob, miss me with them country lyrics. You sound just like the one percenters. You must have did a bunch of acid. Either that or you just fucking with us. You wanna be a star, sell out concert tickets. A mansion in a Hollywood subdivision. You get the fame on the one condition. You can copy that the cloning center. They kill them with a common in it. Overdose from a drug addiction. Same story, same headline. A stroke, a heart attack, an aneurysm. Celebrities and politicians. Just to name a couple members. Rituals and pedophilia. Sacrifices, blood religion. The Queen of England got arrest warrants for the disappearance of a dozen children. Do your research on the topic. Same time every year, kids come on missing. But you so focused on who fucking who, you don't realize who fucking you. You so sucker in the who fucking who, you don't realize who fucking you. Motherfucker, bent over, bent over. Grab your ankles, touching knees, bent over. Motherfucker, bent over, bent over. Grab your ankles, touching knees, bent over. Motherfucker, you be bugging off. So, should we move on to this one's gonna get. This is, this is a beefy one right here. Okay, um, right, yeah. Number five. Uh, okay, I'll read. This is from non-Euclidean uh, non-Euclidean cutie, hmm. who says, "What's up with Yeonmi Park and the North Korean defector sphere and her close friend Michael Malice?" I've heard of Yeonmi Park, but who's Michael Malice? I forgot to look up Michael Malice as uh, kind of okay. He's like. 
he I can already tell he's like an edge lord. Oh God, hmm. he's a Ukrainian American author, podcaster, columnist, Uh-oh. anarchist, and media personality. He's the host of You're Welcome. Uh Y-O-U-R Welcome. Like a welcome belonging to you. All right. Yeah, he had a biography written about him in 2006 called Ego and Hubris, the Michael Malice story. Um, he Is was it born. An autobiography? No. Okay. No, a the biography. Of a Harvey Pekar biography. Mm. What's going on Clo- here? One of Del Close's comics. Uh, oh, is he? Well, is the he? like the Harley Pequod character. Like, oh, it's the American yeah. Splendor because he did a parody yeah, right. of that, right? Like exactly. American Squalor. Yeah, American Squalor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I always thought that interesting. Movie what stupid. the hell? Why was um, Harvey Pequod writing a biography oh, of this guy? Oh God, he was born in Lviv. He was born in Lviv. Um, mm-hmm. Which everybody listening knows where that is now. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, a hotbed of let's say a very robust uh, Ukrainian nationalist uh, sentiments. Yes. I would say um, formally. Who, yeah, do not are not relevant, you know, just a typical thing that any country has and are especially irrelevant when your president's Jewish and are meaningless, even if they're part of the National Guard. Yes, uh, he is Jewish, actually. And it was a Russian speaking Jew. Michael Kretschmer is his uh, actual like name, but he decided cool. to be a punk rock Pre- badass. President chaos. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um. So uh, I guess he... Wow, I like I know I've heard this guy's name before, but like, okay, Wikipedia says, well, he moved to Bensonhurst, Brooklyn when he was two. Let me see when he, okay, so he was a, like a refusenik. Uh, nineteen seventy eight, his family left uh, the USSR, and uh, his father worked as a courier and studied computer science at Baruch College. He later worked for Merrill Lynch. Interesting. He went to Stuyvesant High School and Bucknell University and worked for Goldman Sachs before quitting. Okay. And okay, so he's a media personality known for trolling others on social media and for shape-shifting between radical political groups, according to the American Conservative. His pseudonym surname was inspired by nicknames such as Sid Vicious and Polystyrene that were common with the punk movement. And the cultural movement that centered around Andy Warhol, two cultural movements mm-hmm. that greatly influenced Malice. Uh-oh. Oh, he created a Overheard in New York, that blog. Remember that? Oh, my God. Right? Really? I do remember that. Wow. That was a long That's time ago. Sus. Yeah, 2003. And then mm-hmm. there was a book published on it. And uh, and then he was the subject of Harvey Picard's biographical graphic novel, um, Ego and Hubris. Hmm. The the biography uh, he deals now has a yeah. You're welcome is now on podcast one, uh, and he's had interviews with uh, Glenn Greenwald, uh, Justin Amash, Madison Cawthorn, Lauren Southern, Adrian Curry, Mike Cernovich, Tom Woods, and of course James Lindsay. I'm getting uh, a certain vibe here. I feel yeah. like I'm smelling mm. sulfur. There's a certain Silicon yeah. Valley billionaire, uh, I think, yeah. uh, circling around this here. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, yeah, because. Uh, uh, yeah, a podcast one, by the way, is where Brett Easton Ellis's podcast started. Um, awesome. A person that's that's been at the Peter Thiel's house, apparently. Mm. Um, and again, like part of this like sort of extended web, the Thiel network. Um, okay, now I now I understand why he is brought up with Yami Park, because he in 2014 he published his first solely authored work, Dear Reader, the unauthorized biography of Kim Jong-il. 
Oh boy. Mm, cool. Oh boy. The book the is authorized autobiography. So it's written from it's written from yeah. the hypothetical first person view of Kim himself and is a semi farcical commentary on how he is portrayed to the North Korean people. Oh boy. Oh my God. Wait a minute. Much of the material was based on English language propaganda material that Malice collected while on a week long trip to Pyongyang, North Korea in 2012. Wait a minute. How could you visit North Korea and then like not? challenge you, anything that Yunmi Park says. Maybe she doesn't like use her most insane statements on him. We'll talk about uh, her in a second, but wait a minute. He was in North Korea also. He was in the DPRK in 2012 also. Wow. Cuz you know, we were well, in the DPRK in 2012 true, too. We were. Did we mm. did we like cross paths? We ran we ran into a few annoying libertarians there that were visiting, wow. but I don't think we ran into Yeah, we him. did run into one guy. Yeah, but I don't think it was him. I don't think it was him. We didn't run into any like edgelord American Gen Xers necessarily, but I can only imagine what, you know, he wrote a, he wrote an article about his experiences in reason magazine NK news gave it a positive review and you know, he goes on. Yeah. He's a regular on Fox news. Now he goes on red eye, Gutfeld, Tucker. Uh, he's been on Joe Rogan and the Rubin Report. I, like, what's this guy's? De- I guess he teamed up with Yanmi Park at a certain point. Hmm, I guess they're friends. I don't know. He says he he describes himself as an anarchist without adjectives. Cool. He's advocated for the peaceful dissolution of the United States. Of course. Uh, he described his politics as a combination of anarchism, objectivism, and libertarianism in 2006. That's just redundant. Yeah, like, true. <laughs> you know, just uh-huh. say you're an anarchist um, or just say you're an objectivist. It's all the same. Um, okay, so this guy, I don't really know. Let me see what he's actually been doing. Because we, we looked in, I, I did some dives last night into Yanmi Park. I, you know, I've been aware of her for a long time. But, oh boy, like... Where do we even begin with Yanmi Park, who basically has been doing the rounds like you can find her on every kind of like intellectual dark web, Peter Thiel adjacent podcast, basically doing kind of the mm-hmm. exact yeah, same. Yeah, she did the rounds. Yeah, she did the rounds. She did Lex Friedman, who goes on Joe Rogan all the time. Uh, and I think was he from MIT? Kind of sus. Mm-hmm. Um, another pod, other uh, maybe he's Ukrainian. I don't, I forget if Lex Friedman's a Russian or Ukrainian jew slash israeli uh or like oh he's a computer scientist that's right yeah um and then of course our favorite uh you know my my old occupy comrade tim pool yeah um, (laughs) had her on uh to basically talk about how how would not watch that just as bad as that was amazing to me she was like columbia university is just as bad as north korea and it's like yeah. Okay. Like, yeah. Uh, that's like amazing propaganda for Columbia university or for North Korea. Like, you know, you're kind of like, Oh yeah, it's the same as going to an Ivy league school in New York city. Um, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, oh, I case, mean, the, yeah. Uh, the thing she says, um, Oh yeah. Lex Friedman is an AI researcher working on autonomous vehicles, human robot interaction and machine learning at MIT and beyond. So, okay. That guy is like, Mr. I'm standing up for like uh, humanity against the woke hordes and hanging out mm-hmm. with Joe Rogan. You just see such a such a commonality with like this entire group of like weird techno like libertarians. Um and Yami Park, I guess, slipped right into it and did the rounds and had a book out and uh 
Yeah, hold on. Let me, okay. Michael Malice, Yanmi Park. Michael Malice is a genius. This is a clip from Yanmi Park talking to Lex Friedman. They're just talking about what a genius Michael Malice is. So he just goes around and, oh, I guess they, they had a disagreement about anarchy because I think, I don't know what Yanmi Park's actual like politics are, except um, like hating. They seem to uh, be like, I'm a grifter. I'm yeah. just a grifter and I'll say whatever it takes for me to get like a talk show appearance. I'm reading this article from the New York Post. Uh, probably signed off on by by Sohrab, uh about <laughs> the problem of wokeness. Like, just imagine, like, I'm, I'm sure we're going to talk about some of the things she said she experienced in oh, yeah, North Korea. But mm-hmm. like, she's this is what she says. Going to Colombia, the first thing I learned was safe space. She said, every problem they explained us is because of white men. Some of the discussions of white privilege reminded her of the case system in her native country where people were categorized based on her ancestors, they said, or she said, sorry. In one class, a teacher discussing Western civilization asked his students if they had a problem with the name of the topic. Most students raised their hands, according to Park. Some, she said, mentions issues with the colonial slant of the discussion. And classes often began with professors asking students for their preferred pronouns with the use of they becoming scary as she feared being socially penalized for not being inclusive enough in her vocabulary. English no. is my third language, she said. It's very hard for me to say he and she sometimes. I misuse them. I like okay, I just love the idea that like she's like just wide-eyed and like terrified that like she's gonna, you know, be know, taken out and like, canceled. Um, yeah. It's hilarious and like just exposes her as like an absurd grifter, the things that she says about the DPRK. I mean, obviously, like, you know. It's there so yeah. are components of the government of the DPRK uh, that isn't that aren't uh, ideal um, and yeah. that are uh, worth uh, voicing problems with. But her depiction of it is literally like that everyone had to eat grasshoppers and bugs, and the street was like lined with corpses, and people yeah. were just eating flowers because like everyone's starving and no one's not no, the eating farm. human flesh, like yeah. on the regular. And no, right. the, the, the 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 stories and the way she tells the stories are like because she has like a very she has she has like a, a method of how she talks about it with all these yeah. people, and all of them end up doing the same whether it's Joe Rogan or Tim Pool. Or Lex Friedman, they all just like end up being like, wow, that's crazy. You know, like that's all I can mm-hmm. say because the things she's saying, it's like, wait, 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 wait. So they, they, they eat the children and she's like, yeah, 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 they do. Mm-hmm. Like he, she just keeps doubling down every time somebody almost asks for like clarification. It's like, wait, you mean literally like they do this? And she's like, yeah, literally, that's exactly what they do. But like the things she <laughs> says are, like in some cases so outlandish like i'm trying to even think there's so many of them like all the stuff you just listed uh but also that the north korean government because they don't have enough fertilizer to grow crops she doesn't ever say why but uh because you know communism doesn't work uh so they never have fertilizer so they order every north korean family that they have to provide like a thousand kilos a thousand kilograms of poo to the government every year or else they'll be sent to a prison camp and executed. 
And so like people go around scavenging like poop everywhere. She even contradicts herself once because she's like, yeah, like when I was a little kid, I'd have to go on the street and like collect like if I saw dog poop. I mean, I, there's no dogs, obviously, because like they killed all the dogs and ate them. But you, you, you know what I mean? Like so she was like trying. She like contradicted herself by saying like, how could there be dog poop if uh, if as she said, Kim Jong Un, you know, ordered every dog to be taken, slaughtered, and eaten because uh, he thought it was too Western. Which, again, is like... Also, yes, she they confiscated entire dog. I all remember. the dogs. Yeah. Every single dog mm-hmm. got confiscated. And it's like, with the DPRK, you get stories like that so often that end up being, like, not true. And you can verify in a lot of cases, particularly when they say that, like, Kim Jong-un is, like, killed a top general or, like, blah, 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 and then they, like, see him at a parade the next month. Like that's happened so many times in the last few years. Also, it's worth pointing out that she left the DPRK (laughs) in like, I think 2007 or 2008. So she left when it was still under Kim Jong-il, but she talks about things like Kim Jong-il's funeral that as if she was there and like knows about it and like experienced it. She said that, you know, because Joe Rogan's like, why why is everyone like, what's up with this performative display of like grief? Like are people being for, are they brainwashed? Like what's going on? And she's like, no, they know that if they do not show enough grief, um, they will be executed. So everybody knows that that's what you have to, but then she goes far that she's like, even babies know, even babies know. And and Joe's just like, wow. Oh damn. That's crazy. Yeah. How does a baby know that it has to like do performative mourning for Kim Jong-il or it will be murdered? Like uh, maybe she's talking about toddlers. Yeah. Maybe she meant like very young kids, very young children. Uh, But but she said, she's like, when you're born in North Korea, you just know. (laughs) It's like, she says a lot of things like that, that sound to Westerners as just like, wow, damn, that's crazy. But like, yeah, none of these things actually hold up. To scrutiny. Well, listening to her, yeah, you can really tell that she just knows what will make people say, like, wow, that's crazy. Like, she's just been saying, like, a number of different stories and embellishing them over time and just, like, doing it up. Like, she said that she, in school in North Korea, like, the way they teach math is they say, like, you have four Americans. You kill two Americans. How many (laughs) Americans are left? (laughs) Like, honestly, um, though, honestly, though, that might be, like, one of the few things she says that might have like a grain of truth to it because like countries have done that like it throughout the world like like worked kind of political things uh though i i mean yeah i mean i'm sure that there is an element of propagandization in the education in north korea but like i'm sure that they do in like word problems or whatever. like well, there are six imperial know. u.s imperialists like yeah. fighter jets like flying over the border like maybe. you shoot down too you know um, um but you know what hey uh I, i'm not i'm not saying it's wrong i'm just saying they do it <laughs> you know what i mean maybe. like i don't know i feel like they them. probably do normal math and then like no i'm sure they do i'm sure history. they do but according about, to her, like, it's like they have, yeah. they have, uh, mm-hmm. they don't get taught anything about the rest of the world. I think she said in like other interviews that she didn't know Africa existed until she left the DPRK because it's like illegal to teach children that Africa I mean, I exists. knew people who didn't know that Africa, like where Africa was or what Africa was, like an American public school. So that might not be a lie. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, it like, might, no, but like they yeah. didn't know it was a thing at all. Like they didn't mm-hmm. even know of its existence. Like, And her family was pretty like well off too. Well, Right? Yeah, that's like, the thing is that the, her stories, even though, okay, because, you know, there was a period in the 1990s where there was a famine and things were very difficult and people did die of starvation. You know, the arduous march is what they call it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that was 
mainly due to the collapse of the Soviet Union and like this huge economic shock that happened and, you know, it happened in Cuba. It happened across the entire like socialist block as it was uh, pillaged and, you know, whatever. But she was born in like 93, I think. Mm -hmm. So she wouldn't even have been like conscious, uh, conscious of like, I think the, the arduous March was really, I feel like from 94 to 98. So that, this would have been like when she was a baby from like one to four or five years old. So maybe she has memories of things being bad. But then when she talks about it, like you're right, she talks about like the conditions her family was living in and how like, I mean, one anecdote she says over and over and over again is that when she got to China for the first time, she saw a trash can and was like, what's that? And they're like, that's a trash can. That's where you you put things that you don't uh, that you don't need or don't want anymore. And she's like, what? Because I never <laughs> encountered that concept before that you would like have a thing that you didn't need. Like we never had anything to throw away because we had nothing. And yeah. it's just like, okay, like, okay, I don't know if you can remember perfectly, but I feel like if I went back and looked at, like, my video footage, like, there were trash cans. I definitely threw a. tons of stuff in the trash cans in North Korea. Um, it's a very, it's overall, it's a pretty clean country, as are most, like, well, communist countries. you know, I mean, we went to, like, the part that was, like, approved for showing to tourists, so it was, like, the nicest part. But yes. we did drive down a lot of highways and they were like piled with corpses. Like, you know, no, no. which again, maybe they clear dystopia. out the corpses every morning. They get, they get like the phone call that like, and they pile Mr. up. <laughs> yeah. Mr. O like calls them at the hotel, like the road crew. It's like, all right, get the bodies off the road. Like they're coming yeah. in 30 minutes, but that's the no. one clean road that we drive down. Uh, no, I feel like the level of dystopia that she was describing. I mean, one funny thing relative to our tour is that she claims that like the reason she re the, 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 when she finally realized that like the sort of the level of oppression and like control that she lived under was when she saw Titanic, like an illegally imported DVD of Titanic. Oh yeah. Uh, and that was what taught her the true meaning of love. Um, and like, which you know, is, which is not no love in and it's Korea. outlawed. There's no, she literally says there's no love. There's no vocabulary or expression of love between people in North Korea. The only version of love that is allowed is love for the dear leader. Or even thus, the concept of the word I. Oh like, yeah. She said, yeah. That, I mean, talk about pronoun problems with pronouns. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, yeah, she exactly. said, I literally did. There's like no word for like I in like the North Korean, you know, blah 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 or like it's been outlawed so you can only say we all the time like the royal we or whatever i mean it's really not surprising it's like not too different from the way that i mean people who weren't even like quote unquote defectors or any kind of native informant would say like the same level of bullshit after uh 2001 but eventually people started calling them out whereas like the information embargo like there's no like you know i mean she has been called out by other defectors as being like a total confabulator, you know, and just exaggerating and lying about things. It's know? also interesting so. just reading about, I'm sure that this is tilted on a Wikipedia, but like her early life, her, that, that all important early life bio, mm -hmm. um, because, you know, she mentions all these horrible things, but like you said, like her family was like relatively not like, at the, I don't know, the bottom of the heap or so to speak, like her father was a part of the, the workers party of Korea, the, um, basically. Mm -hmm. And her mother was a nurse for the Korean people's army. So her dad, Park Jin Sik was a civil servant who worked at, uh, Hyasan, which is in Northern DPRK. He was a civil servant that worked at the town hall there. Her paternal grandfather 
Park Chang-gyu was a former civil servant during the Japanese occupation. And he initially, she talks about this all the time, but the songbun, the the -hmm. status, which I've read a lot in like Western sources about like, this is the caste system of DPRK. And it's all based upon like, what were your grandparents doing? Uh, The ultimate Mm -hmm. like canceling people for their grandparents country. Um, I know, right? Um, The ultimate sins of the father, uh, people's republic. Just like Uh, the idea of white privilege at Columbia. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, they, they judge you for what, you know, your great grandparents did when the Japanese invaded mm-hmm. and during the great, you know, Korean War, etc. But mm-hmm. it says here that her paternal grandfather had a high Songbun status after serving as a military officer in the Korean War. But her father's opportunities were limited after her uncle, Park Dong-il, was convicted for what do you think he was convicted for? for speaking uh, his mind uh do you think he was convicted for stealing food because everyone's starving uh mm-hmm. do you think he was convicted for like reading a bible yeah it was you always know, you, oh sorry what was it yeah uh i hate to disappoint uh, he was convicted for rape and attempted murder in 1980 wait really i thought that he was like a smuggler well no no no. this is her oh uncle. it's a grand oh her this uncle is, so, i see i mean Maybe she's not 100% wrong about how entire families, like political or like career prospects, could be negatively in fact, impacted by one member of the family doing something that is seen well, as I bad. I wonder in what but, context that happened because, like, the fact that, like, the fact that her uncle was a rapist and her father was involved in smuggling uh, does lend a little bit of credence to something I've always suspected, which is like she was able to get out of North Korea through, like, the aid of human traffickers yeah. and she tells like a lot of uh continually varying uh very inconsistent stories about her experience with that but i always found it a bit odd that she was like so readily able to contact these human traffickers and it makes me wonder like what the extent of the smuggling that her father was involved in might have been but well, that's it, just it, it pure does. speculation. Anytime um, you get somebody fleeing a communist country and is making a career out of talking shit about how horrible it is and doing an old, the old Solzhenitsyn dance, uh, you do have to wonder like, well, what did they do? You know, like, is it, yeah. was it totally just like political persecution or is it the fact that, okay. It's also funny because she talked about how like, oh, rape was just like, to- she mentions in one of these interviews that like, oh, rape is just ubiquitous in North Korea. Like uh, men mm-hmm. just rape women constantly and get away with it. And it's like, oh, you mean like your uncle who got sent to prison for it? Um, that's a little, that's like a weird thing to Well, to kind obviously of, uh, that was a lie for. and he really uh, went to prison for, you know. Yeah. And uh, oh, interesting. Freedom. Listen to this. So I guess it also, I guess her father was unable to complete his military service around the time his brother went to jail for rape uh, because he he was having like appendicitis or something, which is a story she also tells that like the, the medical system was so bad and they don't use anesthesia. Um, but also her mother, Byung Kun Suk, had a low Songbun status because her ancestors had been landowners in North Hamgyong province so okay so we have the descendant of uh somewhat wealthy landowners mm-hmm. interesting yeah so okay so her father ended up finding employment at a foundry but he decided to supplement his income by smuggling chinese cigarettes clothes and rice he met his wife yonmi park's mother in kowan in 1989 uh during one of his smuggling runs he later established a metal smuggling operation in the capital, Pyongyang, 
where he spent most of the year with his mistress, Wan's son, while his wife and daughters remained in Hyasan. Her family was wealthy by North Korean standards during most of her childhood. However, the family later struggled after her father's imprisonment for trading salt, sugar, and other spices. Okay, hold up. Wait. So, like, there's no way that she was like, if there were people starving, it wouldn't have been somebody of her background that was starving, right? I think we can safely say. Yeah, and I think that she assimilated. Obviously, like, you know, you... I I don't 100% blame someone for like who's young for falling into that pattern almost because it is such an easy grift and like other means like might not seem as practical. Like you could find out pretty easily that like you can, you know, you're in the community of North Korean defectors and like some of them say like these things and like by saying, you know, certain things, people really like that or they'll hire you to give like a speech like to oh, and you get you money know, from the South Korean government. Yeah. The South Korean government will give you a ton of money if you arrive there and are a defector. And I think there's a f- direct financial incentive to like the worst things you, if you're willing to say, mm-hmm. the more money yeah. you can get in your pocket. I do get it. Like, you know, mm-hmm. everyone's yeah. trying to hustle and everything, but like, yeah, there's all sorts of things. Like it's clear that like, you know, the whole thing of like eating cicadas and dragonflies like she at first didn't say anything like that and deny that such things happened but then like maybe she heard someone saying that and she like you know put it into her story and you know i did notice like people being killed for watching hollywood movies like okay yeah let's just say uh, maybe because i think we didn't finish that thought that we personally know for sure that like that story has to be bullshit because when we were in the DPRK, our guides all loved Titanic and talked about how it was <laughs> yeah, the best they movie sang ever. Songs from Titanic and they sang us. my heart will go on to us before we left. Yeah. So I mean, if it's so illegal. Even if they were, yeah, even if they were like the, uh, you know, that was like a special thing to sort of show off how like North Korea isn't as bad as they say, like yeah. a bunch of other, like, you know, there's an article on the diplomat called the strange tale of Yunmi Park, which interviews some other defectors about her. And they, you know, uh, well, one of them says, like, it's absolutely ridiculous that anyone would be killed for watching a Hollywood movie. And I go to church with 30 other defectors and they would all tell you the same thing. Sorry, uh, 350 defectors. Damn. Um, You know, it's ridiculous to even say that that would happen and it has never happened before. So the 59 year old woman from Haisan who escaped in 2009. So. See, she said, but Yanmi Park says that if you get caught watching a movie like Titanic, you get executed Bond. publicly in like a yeah. soccer stadium. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, and then, so the idea that both uh, she didn't know what love was, uh, maybe that's because her dad was, maybe that's because her dad was a two-timing philanderer. Maybe that's why she didn't know what the content, and her mom never said, I love you. So there's some personal things going on here. But, you know, she didn't know what the concept of love was because it was illegal. And then she saw Titanic and realized love is a concept. And like, but <laughs> she had to watch it secretly or else they'd murder her. That it's, it's just bull. It's like I mean, they definitely bullshit. have an idea of like loving your family. Oh, yeah, I mean, we like, like, remember, I bought the DVD family basketball team, which is a huge hit yeah. in the late 90s in North Korea. And then that was that was even uh, kind of made during the arduous march. And there even are some like references in it. Like they keep making fun of the dad character for being like obese, but he's mm-hmm. really just like, he's got a little bit of a pudgy yeah, stomach, but like, and isn't, yeah, uh, that, that was a little bit. The other one about the traffic cop, isn't there kind uh, of like traffic a traffic controller at crossroads? Yes. Traffic. Controller yeah. I mean, no, like yeah. if you, if you ever watched like any, like, like 
so many like North Korean things. It's like very like sweeping romantic. Like it's almost old school how like sweeping. And I think the one CD of, you know, songs that I bought, I mean, a lot of the songs were about, you know, like, uh, you know, we will march with our comrade Kim Jong-il, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, there was like romance in Pyongyang or something like that. Like, like it's just stupid. It's dumb as fuck. <laughs> the, the, the idea that like, this is some Orwellian, like crazy nightmare. And yeah. the fact that she can get away with it, you know, uh, is, and I honestly, yeah. Yeah. I honestly think the thing that like kind of gives the whole game away is her like, you know, maybe not getting enough attention or like becoming uh, less popular or not getting the same mileage out of the defector tales as she used to. And so then deciding to say that like going to Colombia is in her words, uh, North Korea was pretty crazy, but not this crazy, you know, even North Korea is not this nuts. And like, to say like that, oh yeah, North Korea, there were dead bodies piled in the streets. No one knew what love was. There was no word for I, you know, people were executed for watching movies and people public. were literally like living in the pod, eating yeah. the bugs. And then to tur- like, you know, that would be like, you know, and all these traumatic stories that she has to turn around and say, uh, you know, it's as bad as like having to say they, <laughs> you know, it's very like, bizarre. I mean, people and, saying that Jane Austen yeah. like is colonial or something like, okay well, you've completely undermined yourself. Like, you know, no, I mean, really, um, I mean, she also says, you know, she, I just like the little things like, you know, if your house is on fire and your first responsibility is to save the portraits of, you know, Kim Il-sung <laughs> and Kim Jong-il. And if you don't, you'll be executed. That's um, if you, if you, if an inspector comes by your house and you haven't like dusted off the portraits of Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-il and they find dust on it, sent to a labor camp executed it's just it's like when you actually look at like okay it does sound like it, assuming that most of this narrative of her early life is broadly true um she had a pretty good life and then her dad was illegally smuggling various goods and making a bunch of money and yeah. getting a little bit fat off the hog at a time when not a lot when north korea was going through some challenging economic times in the 90s and early 2000s and then he got caught and lost his party membership and their basically their living standards declined maybe they did go through some hard times but it's kind of like it's she just the way she talks about it is literally just like I was born in North Korea and like this is what life is and it's like, it, there's yeah. nothing about how, well, your dad like is a criminal. And so y- your family kind of, it, I mean, honestly in America, if you had a dad who was rich and then he goes to prison, all that money gets forfeited. You probably would drive them into poverty. Maybe it, it's not as bad poverty, but you know what I mean? It's like, that kind of happens anywhere in the world. Like, uh, if you, yeah, sometimes you wish that they lost a bit more money. <laughs> Maybe there's a middle <laughs> ground here. Um, well, yeah, yeah, but, exactly. Yeah. You know, I mean, so he was, I mean, it, this guy was doing like, he was, he was, it sounds like he was running a whole operation. He was smuggling metal in the capital. I mean, damn. And he had a mistress there, you know, so this guy was like balling out by like DPRK standards, which it's not really legal to ball out in the DPRK mm-hmm. and everybody knows it. And so he was like accumulating private wealth, which uh, I'm sorry, but you know, in that society that's considered parasitism, right? You know, that's like not <laughs> so I get it. You're going to defend your dad. He didn't do anything wrong. But then the idea that they went, you know, they got into 
hacked into China, helped by human traffickers, which makes you wonder, like, was he smuggling out people before exactly. this as well? Yeah, like where they meet those human traffickers. And and given um, what she says but, about, yeah, like, know. the Maybe trafficking just, like, networks, connects. like, it, it almost makes me wonder because it sounds like her dad was not a nobody in this kind of whole, like, underground world of, like, smuggling. And mm -hmm. so why would she and her um, her mother be basically like sold into sex slavery for a couple years. That story like changed a lot. That's it a changes that's a lot. Like dramatically changed. Yeah. And it's very harrowing. There. I mean, I mean, yeah. if it's true, I'm almost like, that's the part of the story. I'm kind of like, look, if you were like sold into sex slavery and like raped by a human trafficker, that's absolutely awful. Yeah. That's also not the DPRK government doing that to you. That's a bunch of like mercenary the human traffickers that your dad, yeah, that's hired, human traffickers but, that like your dad, like was associates by. So like, take it up with your dad, like more than, you know, don't blame Kim Jong-un for it or Kim Jong-il. But then, you know, the, like, yeah, the, there's some kind of outlandish sounding kind of claims with that. And yeah, it's a then story she, that's changed. I mean, obviously like it's, you know, it's a similar thing with like someone like Ion who has like made a lot, you know, you can't really like know and you can't really say like Ayan Hirsi Ali that is who's uh, like you know she's lied about a lot of things about her background and it naturally brings up the you know her claim to have undergone uh female circumcision and you know it's like we can't really tell someone that they you know you can't really challenge it but like yeah people are like uh you know then you know like just like a lot of DPRK defectors you start to get kind of plugged into the whole NGO complex and you become like a voice right mm -hmm. uh to and then so that's where she's made this like huge career you know uh I think she started teaming up with Christian missionaries who are always active in that and then you know got into Colombia and after publishing her memoir in 2015 which by the way I noticed at one point in the Joe Rogan interview she mentioned like oh well you know there's a slogan like when right after saying something ridiculous about like North Koreans aren't allowed to like uh, have the I pronoun or something she was like well you know like in North Korea like they say you have nothing to envy because it's the greatest country in the world and oh she was saying you know South Korean we we learned that South Koreans are basically like held hostage in like a u.s military camp and all of them want to come here you know we're the great paradise on earth which i again i would question if like that's literally what they're saying i think they say our, our country's special it's great our country's great like we love it but i don't know if they say like every other country sucks but she mentioned like well, oh she you thought know, that only north koreans hated americans but then to her shock there are even <laughs> people in america who hate america too wow i know i know so the, the last thing she expected but you know she mentioned oh there's this thing called nothing to envy that's a slogan in the dprk nothing to envy and that reminded me years ago i think before we went to the dprk I had the misfortune of reading well, at the time was like a really big best-selling book called nothing to envy ordinary lives in North Korea, which came out in 2009 by the LA times journalist, Barbara Demick that is based on interviews with North Korean defectors from the city of Chongjin, which is also in the North um, who had escaped, you know, the, who had fled the DPRK. And I remember like, as as my like understanding of the DPRK kind of uh, after we went there and I think maybe uh, like my understanding of like psyops and like misinformation from like, you know, the U S side uh, kind of evolved over the years. I, I remember like so many of the stories 
in it were like that were about like cannibalism, like during a lot of it was about during the arduous march during the famine and all the horrible things like they had to eat seeds and weeds and they had to burn human hair to like create fires and people engaged in cannibalism and stuff. And basically like the, this book, it was a huge uh, booster of all of these kind of memes and stories about the DPRK that couldn't really become, be verified at all. And so it made me realize that I think that Yanmi Park is kind of cribbing anecdotes from this book and mm-hmm. like pasting them into her own life and talking awesome. about it like it's things she witnessed. But like mm-hmm. that cuz I think if I went back, it's been years since I read it, but I think if I went back, there I would I could find like dozens of anecdotes. And of course, maybe people could say, "Well, that's cuz it's true." But like Right. Th- this book is also one that I've realized like, oh my God, that book was probably filled with like all kinds of like CIA bullshit that was like exaggerating or I don't know, like the South Koreans were paying people to like tell these horrible stories and all that other stuff. It also was a famine. So like, I'm sure there was human misery and bad things happening, but like the maliciousness of the government and things like that. And like the barbarism that was going on there, you know, it it was definitely kind of amped up to 11. And now Yanmi Park is like the next generation of that to basically, but I think she's almost like, I don't know. Did any of the other defectors that don't like her say that she cribs stories from other defectors? Yeah. Mm, okay. Or that like new elements of her narrative like emerged over time. Like the like the for instance, the thing about eating insects and stuff. At yeah. first she denied experiencing that, but then she started saying that that had happened. And you know, people have pointed out that she like, you know, just changed elements of her story that don't make sense. Like part of the, you know, there's this. I mean, obviously, the aspects that we mentioned about the human traffickers, like, that wasn't there originally. She says, like, you know, I was too young to kind of bring it up. But the details of it, as we said, have, like, kind of changed. And, like, the details of her escape itself has changed. Like, in some accounts, she's with her father and her mother. And then she's yeah. with her only with her mother. And her mother, like, sort of sacrifices herself and, like, allows herself to be, like, sexually violated in order to spare you know, like kind of as a weird exchange or something, which is very dramatic, but with the Mongolians, uh, I think while crossing into Mongolia, the Mongolian soldiers tell her like, haha, we're going to send you back to North Korea. And then they all prepare to like commit suicide. And then they're like, just kidding. That's a story she tells over and over again. Well, probably in different forms, but she said that like, you know, in one event, she, in one case, she said, like, you know, I escaped with my mom and my father, the three of us. I had to survive. I had to really live. And with that thought, I just run, like, really faster. My mom was behind me. My father was there. And then we all escaped. And there were cars to get us because of the connections with Chinese people. And then we went to China directly. Um, but then she told a different story where she and her mother escape alone. And she has to watch her mother, you know, be raped by a Chinese broker yeah. in order to protect her from the same thing happening. Yes. And then there's different versions of her father's death, et cetera. And then she told a story about, yeah, being in detention in Mongolia and she was forced to remove her clothes every day. And, uh, you know, people who knew her said that she used to complain about having to work in the fields and clean in the detention center, but she made no mention of having been subjected to daily strippings. And then, uh, you know, this, they have this professor who works as a counsel at the South Korean Processing Center for North Korean Refugees. And he said, uh, you know, uh, he'd never heard of anyone being stripped naked at a detention center in Mongolia. 
And uh, in the past, the South Korean government has sent counselors over to Mongolia to help them with freeing defectors in detention. How can defectors be stripped naked every day? It would cause them more psychological distress. It's not possible. So, you know, some of these details have been. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like even places like 38 North and like and and maybe not NK News because they're really in bed with her. But like you said, the diplomat, like like other people have brought this up that she's like kind of grifting and shifting her narratives and stuff like that. Also, not only have her narratives changed, but uh, her appearance has changed pretty significantly, I would say, since she first came on the scene. In like 2014, like, also, like she's grown up, or like what? no, like she's had extensive work done. Oh, I see. Like I mean, um, extensive work. If you look at the picture of her, like on her Wikipedia yeah, at the top, surprising. 2014, and then look at her on like Lex Friedman or Joe Rogan. Mm, I mean, yeah, she really. I, let's say she definitely embraced South Korean culture and beauty standards. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, and True. probably got a lot of money from people to do that. And now, yeah. Like has a huge like common, YouTube following. Common voice. choice, yeah. She, wow, she really has. Oof. She went um, full like K-pop, you know, and mm-hmm. but it, it it's kind of like infuriating watching these like podcast interviews with all these like teal connected people that are just kind of letting her like tell whatever version of the story she's telling that day and be like, wow damn like wow they really are just like npcs and like that's communism and then furthermore like that's coming here because purple haired like grad students at columbia are like using they them pronouns like it's it's just such you could tell like this is like an op of some kind this is like a like a you know yeah this is like an influence op uh to kind of tie various things together and like give a new fresh coat of paint on old anti-communist propaganda yeah it's pretty transparent there's a million uh things like that i mean i feel like she's probably just independently grifting at this point and like it's just doing its own work because there's an appetite for it you know building on the long-standing uh, foundation of like you know all the ops that have gone on in the past it's definitely a career to be made there's a career to be made in like a lot of these things there's a career to be made uh you know as like a russia hawk there's a career to be made as like uh you're still even an industry of like being an anti-muslim person all these years later you know uh yeah yeah anti-iran that'll always like yeah be, for be, sure uh a like a maker. anti-semitic kind of um well not being anti-Semitic yourself, but like raising the alarm about anti-Semitism, like among the the woke left or whatever, you know, and <laughs> uh, hating Palestinians. I'm just reading this article in the Daily Mail, which is really funny. Uh, woke America is like North Korea. Defector Yonmi Park revealed she was mugged in Chicago by three black women, but when she restrained one, she was called racist and forced by white white bystanders to let her go. Oh no! In, yeah, in all caps, go is in all caps. Oh God, here. no! Yeah, yeah, she was mugged by three black women outside a Saks Fifth Avenue store in Chicago. This sounds, I'm sure the story is just completely made up. She's just anyway. like Del Close. She like, she yeah. has like a hysterical story about like being like mugged by like two black women in Chicago and like wants to curse them forever and changes all the story, all the details in the stories about her life. And yes, it's really just, it's, it's, uh, she alleged that police and prosecutors declined to charge the thief, but public records indicate that 29 year old Lucretia Harris was sentenced to two years in prison after her arrest and connected with incident. <laughs> I feel like she's complaining That's... that like the woke police wouldn't arrest these black women. It's so rare for your mugger to actually be caught. Like right? she should feel so and then lucky. Get two years, like, two years, yeah, in prison two years in for prison. Mugging? 
I mean, I guess you're mugging a CIA asset, so that's there's probably an enhancement yeah, true. there. But you know, this she woman's mugshot looks so miserable. She's Aww. like, dear Christ. Aww. Yeah, it sucks. Honestly, um, he's probably gonna have more hardships than Yanmi Park had in the DPRK. Oh God, putting uh, all of that illegal metal profits. I just think you know. Thieves are going to thieve. She comes from a family of smugglers and rapists and landowners. Basically, mm-hmm. it's not the hardest thing to figure out why she might not love uh, Dear Leader. And she also, she criticized yeah. us indirectly by saying that uh, anybody that goes to the DPRK and bows before the statues of Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-il is uh, doing doing free work for the regime. Oh, the God. way she put it was funny because it's like, I mean, you could, if it's like fair enough, you could make a point that, all right, yeah, like you shouldn't be co-signing it. But she said that it it's aiding the regime's propaganda by allowing themselves, the tourists, to be portrayed as if they too love and obey the leader. So I feel like mm. she, the way she's saying it is like, if like DPRK citizens are walking by, they would see like us like bowing in front of the Kim Il-sung yeah. statue and be like, wow, see, like those Americans like love and respect Kim Jong-un just like I do. Even okay. though I learned in school that like all Americans deserve to die during my math problems. Like, <laughs> right. so isn't quite. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. I, I give the North Koreans a little more uh, intellectual credit than that. I think, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, we talked about some real issues. Uh, Mr. O, our guide, he, isn't it funny? <laughs> he knew, he knew what Libya was, even though they don't teach you that Africa exists. How did he know about Libya? Wow. Oh, interesting. I love that we can fact check this. He must have thought Um, that it wasn't in Africa. He must have thought that it was, you know, next door to North Korea or something. Yeah, exactly. It was a a state (laughs) of the United States. Um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Uh, hmm. Okay. I mean, why wouldn't they teach you about all the abuses of the African continent by the U.S. imperialists? Seems like I think they do. That's the the (laughs) fucking funny thing is I think they do. I think they they probably go all into it about like yeah. look at like if any I mean it's in their interest to basically point out all the horrible shit the U.S. Have, has done in the 20th century and like the horrible legacies of colonialism, which you know is like a little bit relevant to like the founding yeah. of the DPRK, you know, coming out of mm-hmm. Japan uh, resisting Japanese imperialism and stuff. It's just so fun. Like people are so you see it right now with everything that's going on in uh, Eurasia, like people don't think that other countries have like history that like matters to them. And they're just like, why does like DPRK not like us? Like we fought a war so long ago. And it's like, like there's maybe there's a, a, there are deeper reasons why they are the way they are and they don't totally line up with us. And like, we have antagonistic interests and like, maybe they have a point from their perspective. Like why the fuck should the DPRK learn to love it like yami park always says that that like i came to america and i learned not all americans are bastards and everyone's mm-hmm. like <laughs> yeah like we're not and it's like um aaab uh well mostly i guess it would be self-indicting but a lot of uh, americans she says are she's bastards. not racist because she has her nanny is a muslim and wears a hijab all right well there you go all right well, call off your dogs yeah exactly stop it woke laughs <laughs> Yeah. Stop accusing her of racism for simply Stop being it. bugged in Chicago, which yeah, is a hellhole. Yeah. Chicago, you know, under the Democrat mayors is worse than uh, eating bugs in a wasteland piled and piled with dead bodies where rape has no meaning and no one knows the word love or I. Rape has no meaning unless your uncle does it and literally <laughs> goes to gulag for it. 
I'm sorry. Well, maybe if you rape somebody and attempt to murder them, maybe you should go to Gulag. I'm mm-hmm. okay with that. Like, yeah. Labor camp. I mean, yeah. Unless you want to be an anarchist like Michael Malice and just let yeah, people exactly. rape whoever they want. Maybe that's their their ideological disagreement. I don't know. Well, uh, Michael Malice apparently ghost wrote, uh, according to him, he never was able to actually like legally assert it. And his case was like dismissed or he lost. But he said, like, uh, that woman, Andrea Tantaros, didn't she date one of the Trumps? You might be Fox getting her News? mixed up with Kimberly Guilfoyle. But she was a she Fox News one host, of the Trumps right? too. But anyway, yeah, so she was a Fox host. Uh, she was on The Five. Maybe I am getting her confused because she was also on The Five. But she wrote a book called Tied Up in Knots, How Getting What We Wanted Made Women Miserable. So I guess it's kind of like, you know, an uh, anti- Anti-girl boss thing. Screen, yeah, exactly. But actually ghostwritten by Michael Malice. Yes. Um, <laughs> and he sued her in 2016, claiming he wrote the book. Dope. Um, um, yeah. Okay. So cool. maybe um, he does believe like in, you know just like raping your wife or whatever. Um, Maybe he does. I mean, he's certainly malicious. Uh, Malicious. Yeah. He should go back and uh, he should go back to Lviv right now and unleash some of his malice. Um, uh, I'm sure that he is uh, like on that beat hard. Uh, Yunmi Park seems like based on her Twitter, which I'm looking at right now, it seems like she's uh, looking at it from the North Korean angle. Huh? She's, uh, yeah, she's exploring how, uh, for instance, Putin and Kim Jong-un are soulmates. And <laughs> Kim Jong-un declared the U.S. as the root cause of Ukraine invasion by Russia. Boo. Uh, uh, Dictator, yeah. no. Will North Korea stand by Russia in World War III? Yes. Uh, y- yeah. Yes, they will. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they will, correct. <laughs> they are going to. Yeah, well, we'll see how that plays out. The humanities are at the core of the university. If they are corrupted, there's no way these universities can survive. Jordan Peterson uh, on her podcast from Unity Park. She went on my podcast. She described her appalling experience of studying humanities at Columbia University. Uh, And it's not long ago that they were great. They did what they said they were going to do. And you went and got a humanities education. You got educated. And you learned to write. You learned to think. You learned history. Yeah, they won the Cold War, you know. Yeah, that happened. Yeah. I bet Brzezinski would have been her mentor if he didn't die. Maybe he was. He's talking about how Animal Farm made such a big difference in Yunmi Park's life. And that's what reading does for, you know, great books does for people. And, you know, she didn't know what the concept freedom was until like a a Christian missionary in China, like said, you can be free now. And she's like, what is the, what is free? Like, I don't (laughs) understand. Like my, I am an NPC my whole life. Uh, Yeah. And she said, you can watch TV all you want and wear jeans. And she was like, yay. That's always how it starts. Headline breaking crazy reasons why homosexuality is rapidly spreading in North Korea. I wonder Whoa. what the, it's the clickbaits that, work. Yeah, it almost makes it seem like, yeah, it's weird. It almost does seem like she's saying like, that's part of their bad governance that like everyone's becoming gay there. Are they trying to link um, that to like the psyop that everyone at the DPRK is on crystal meth? <laughs> I <laughs> you know don't I mean? know. Yeah. They do try to say that they're like they're the biggest meth manufacturer. In wow. The she's world. speaking at Bitcoin 2022. Uh, Maybe she'll be there with Brock Pierce. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. These people. It's really funny. She shared that Martin Niemholer uh, first they came poem. But she she said first they came for the right wing conservative commentators, <laughs> then they Epic. came for the sitting president, then they came for the biggest podcaster Joe Rogan who was the least biased. 
Soon they are coming for all of us who don't comply. Wake oh up God. while time remains to fight back. Wake up. She's That's seen amazing. tyranny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Carlos Cueros uh, asked, thoughts on Alexander Dugan? 
Uh, other than its political analysis, I've also seen him touch on more occult and esoteric ideas. Uh, yeah, I feel like he's very, yeah. Uh, I feel like his political analysis and his esoteric ideas like really go hand in hand. Like he's kind of like a, uh, definitely like an evil, uh, inspired guy. I mean, he's someone who like will always bring up like Dasein, like Heideggerian concepts, which really, I think does attest to the mysticism of Heidegger that I think people generally don't appreciate uh, for lack of a better word, the, maybe the mystification of Heidegger and just like mm-hmm. uh, the finer, however you say it, like in German. Uh, yeah. 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 The, no, I mean, yeah. He, he's definitely a sus Lord. He, uh, I would definitely put him in the category of sus Lord. <laughs> yeah. I think we have a um, few, uh, we definitely have a few listeners who are uh, maybe at least like half ironically uh, like Alexander Dugan, but I've always I mean, been, I wonder if Dugan has like a point, in the idea of like the two rival factions of Hyperborea and Atlantis, except like, I don't know if like Hyperborea is good. I feel like maybe they're both bad. Like, I think that maybe his analysis, like there might be something to that in the same way. There's something to the Yankee and cowboy thing, but it's a bit simplistic. Yeah. I feel like maybe uh, he might be onto something with the Hyperborea Atlantis uh, dichotomy too. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. He has said stuff like that. But I mean, he's a fascist. Like, yeah. Uh, I mean, he, he's, he's a deracialized, allegedly fascist. Yes. Because I, I think it, it it's too, it would be oversimplifying it to say like, oh, he's just like a fascist or like a European style fascist or like a Nazi or something like that. Even though he does, like you said, he's a big fan of evil. And, I mean, uh, he's also like a self-proclaimed fascist, like, you know. Is uh, he though? Is is he a literal? Well, he was. I mean, anyone who like at any time was like, I am a fascist, like that's rough. Like, yes, he, uh, in 1997, in his article, Fascism, Borderless and Red, he proclaimed the arrival of a genuine, true, radically revolutionary and consistent fascist fascism in Russia. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, so, he did say, uh, no, by no means the racist and chauvinist aspects of national socialism determine the nature of its ideology. The excesses of this ideology in Germany are a matter exclusively of the Germans, while Russian fascism is a combination of natural national conservatism and a passionate desire for true changes. But he praises the Ananerbe and the Waffen SS as, you know, intellectual oases in the framework of the national socialist regime. <laughs> okay. So, okay, yeah. So, yeah, he's um, got, there, there's definitely, like, an esoteric fascist, like, that is that is definitely the current that he's, like, swimming in. It's, like, esoteric kind of fascism. Uh, less so about kind of, like, race science and things like yeah, that. Yeah, he's not but, so much racist. He's more, like, into the geo-spiritual uh alignment i guess yes he's a big um, fan of multipolarity, you know and uh kind of believes that i mean yeah even his theory which i know somebody pointed out years ago on twitter or, or sorry his logo or his kind of emblem that he likes to use which is like the arrows pointing in like every direction mm-hmm. i think it's like one two three four five six seven eight yeah the eight pointed kind of arrow circle thing that also is very similar to like the logo I think of the Discordian Society and somebody mm-hmm. um, there's an account who's not on Twitter anymore but I remember they were making connections like back in 2016 to like 4chan like meme fascist sort of culture and like esoteric fascism like this is kind of during the age of like Keck and you know uh, like Pepe being mm-hmm. a god Egyptian god and things like that yeah and how there's an interesting like convergence between like Duganism like mystical Duganism and like esoteric fascism well I was like, kind of thinking 
It is interesting that, you know, despite the kind of leftward turn of like can't bot, you know, he did do that like whole raising Thule speech when when Trump won, which seems like very like hyperborea inflected to me. And like, you know, he yeah. and his whole like clique are still, you know, like Putin should declare like the Holy Roman uh, Imperium of the Soviet, uh, like not socialist, but like, or maybe, no, they are communist now, right? Like, so yeah, maybe like, yeah, like the, the Soviet Orthodox, socialist uh, empire, socialist Orthodox, <laughs> yeah, uh, Gnostic Rosicrucian <laughs> empire, yeah, or some fucking shit. I don't know, but yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I had actually listened to Dugan. I think he went on this podcast called... Uh, what was it called again? Kind of in like a teal-ish orbit, in kind of the medium mm-hmm. world. What was it called? Unidentified, maybe. And it was uh, it, like it was kind of rare to see him do like an English language like interview. And this is like a month or so before all the Ukraine stuff popped off. And I, I was listening to him, and it's like uh, it seems like he has like he's modulated himself in a certain type of way. Like he's not openly like proclaiming that he's like a hyper, a super fascist or whatever. Yeah. Like these days, fascist fascism, Yeah, Uh, fascist fascism, but he does, you know, he, he outlined kind of his like worldview and stuff. And I'm still sussed out by him, like at the end of the day, but you know, but I think what's really interesting and like relevant about Dugan right now is like, there's a whole, the whole nother flurry of articles being written by blue checks that are like, this is Putin's Rasputin. Putin's ideal. Putin's Rasputin. That's really something. Putin's Rasputin. Um, Okay. Yeah. Basically that like me, or as Glenn Beck's clip uh, said here, like meet the sinister man who may be, I don't know, the (laughs) guiding Putin's next move. So, there's all these like hot the take. sinister man. Yeah, smart. Uh, yeah. It's sinister is in all caps, by the He's way. He's the new Soros, I guess, of Glenn He Beth, is like kind of like the master. opposite. He's kind of the opposite Soros. Like it's like Dugan's out there with his big beard, like doing all these machinations and stuff. But uh so th- there's a lot of hot takes out right now about how like Putin is implementing Dugan's plan for like Russian resurgence, basically, to build the new like Eurasian like holy orthodox like soviet yeah. socialist and like well, kind yeah of i don't know empire. i mean i feel like yeah does putin really subscribe to dugan's like esoteric ideas or does he just want to expand for you know his own reasons and dugan also wants russia to expand like, i think it's more the latter from everything yeah. i've read is that like at once it, like with everything with this fucking conflict and every attempt to like understand vladimir putin they just end up kind of like running headfirst into like, I don't know, they're, they're gobbling down their own psyops, like without thinking twice. And they're incredibly stupid. It's incredibly frustrating and appalling. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. We might do like an episode about it. I'm not sure what the angle would be, but it's just, yeah, it's it's infuriating. I just want to find an angle (laughs) that is not what like most of the angles are. Exactly. uh, Yeah. It had to be like interesting in and of itself and not just like, yeah, like, you know, it's annoying. um, Pretty crazy. Like people, yeah, they're sanctimonious and uh, like hypocrites. But at the same time, you know, yes, it's bad, but like it's, you know, anyway, whatever. Whatever. Uh, War's never never good, but, uh, but okay. Yeah, it's never good. He's responsible for his own actions. However, this context. Okay. (laughs) Uh, um, Yeah. yeah. I'm seeing this Rasputin behind Vladimir Putin article somewhere else too. It's like everyone is all about this podcast. Yeah, because if you type in, I I wanted to do a little refresher. So I just typed in Alexander Dugan and like every article on Google is like meet Putin's mind or like (laughs) sorcerer. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, I see an article here on Project Syndicate 
syndicate by our, our favorite uh, Yugoslav philosopher, Slavoj Žižek, who calls Alexander Dugan uh, Putin's court philosopher, you know, mm, and wow. th- there's a lot of things like basically, or like this Guardian article, um, the anti-Semitism animating Putin's claim to denazify Ukraine, et cetera, et cetera. And <sighs> So they annoying. all just assume. I mean, they are like swarming with Nazis. Like, yeah, you know, there like are Russia Nazis has tons there. of Nazis too. <laughs> but yeah, like they are swarming with Nazis. Like, I mean, Putin is kind of right that like if Russia and Ukraine like definitely have a strong historical relationship. There's a lot of cultural similarities and a lot of the things that any like other people say about Russia, like it definitely be said about Ukraine as well. It's incredibly corrupt. It's like controlled by oligarchs, like so anyway, by whatever. oligarchs uh, and cronies. Yeah. Like what the yeah. fuck do you think Ukraine is around? The only thing is like Nazis. Like, Russia yeah, uh, doesn't have like John Stewart as its president, but that, that's oh pretty much God. the main difference. The hero, uh, the glorious hero. Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, the servant of the people himself so like but everyone just takes as like as just fact that dugan is like putin's main advisor like his i mean he is friends with steve bannon to some extent he's his guru and he's kind of sus in a similar way i feel like he has equally much influence like outside of russia at this point like yeah uh, arguably so because what a lot of people keep saying that uh, articles that aren't like pounding this you know into the dust is that look like dugan is actually like kind of marginal he's kind of a marginal figure in like russian politics and while he shares a lot of the similar uh outlooks that like the kind of united russia like Kremlin leadership around Putin has, they kind of view him a little bit as like a bit of a crank and a bit of a weirdo. And because of his like mysticism and all that other stuff, and I could be, I could be wrong about that, but I haven't seen anything that indicates that Putin is like really into the more like mystical side of, um, uh, of the kind of ideas that like the, a lot of the takes that Dugan has, because Dugan has some like very hot takes that are like, you know, about like philosophy, about civilization and geopolitics, but like the general thrust of kind of um, a lot of their like political beliefs, like are somewhat in sync. But I saw another person of all places on Reddit, like a discussion (laughs) about like how much influence this guy actually has where I think somebody made a decent point, which is that like they're both Russians who are kind of like Russian nationalists and they grew up out of the the same froth of like the chaos in the 90s and had their worldviews shaped by like common experiences. So it shouldn't be like too over. That's another problem with I feel like the US like Western coverage of like Russia in general is this kind of massive, like whether intentional or not, like gaslighting operation of just pretending like the nineties didn't happen. And like, why would you be like, everyone still repeats on the news every night. Like, did you know that Putin once said that the collapse of the Soviet union was the greatest geopolitical tragedy of like the last hundred no. years? It's like, Oh my God, he wants to reset the, reestablish the USSR. Yeah, no, exactly. he's a communist. And it's like, dude, like that's just an objective like statement of fact for most Russians. Yeah, that, like, absolutely. That, it fucking sucked. Like, yeah, and it was, it was a time t- when like Russia was really strong. Like, yeah. you know, that's probably what he means. Like and that's it, what he means is like we had a we had a functioning society. We had like a really so strong stupid. economy. Um, like we had a strong military. We were respected. We were you know the second superpower. Like, it's kind of like calling Alex Jones like Trump's brain. Like, you know, like yeah, <laughs> they like of, converge yeah. on a lot of shit. And like they pro like probably some of this like the the 
the dross like that Alex Jones like produces like does float in the Trump's like universe like you know uh yeah there's like, there's you know, ties about, like Roger like, Stone Benghazi, and stuff. Benghazi yeah. being a blood sacrifice uh to cover up you know that SEAL Team 6 didn't really kill Bin Laden or whatever and uh, <laughs> to, uh and then Hunter Biden has it in some kind of but they both like you know Alex Jones will criticize Trump when Trump will be like get the vaccine or whatever uh yeah. and yeah. Dugan has criticized Putin when Putin hasn't been you know aggressive enough um, Absolutely. Yeah. So I think right now it's kind of, it's one know, of those listen. situations where he wasn't like, Rasputinized. I mean, part of the stereotype of Rasputin is that like the leader is truly enthralled to this person, which is definitely not the case. Like, you know, no, I feel uh, like, yeah, Putin Dugan's really is, been pissed off at Putin in the past. Yeah. They don't, yeah. they're not always on the same exact page. And I think for, uh, particularly probably from like 2014, uh, up through like this last month, he was uh in a lot of cases like critical of putin for just not like not moving to like make a decisive kind of resolution in like the donbass mm-hmm. and like nova russia which they both like indicated a kind of similar support for in 20, 2014 when all this shit went down but you know i think dugan i think was a little bit frustrated at putin for kind of like dragging his feet and like not being more decisive and so now he's finally like oh thank thank god finally like putin is doing what i've been saying all along he should do but it doesn't mean like he invited like you know alexander dugan into the kremlin and is like all right tell me your plan you know or something like like that which is what people think yeah Yeah, like what should i do (laughs) yeah um no and it also it obscures how like the entire kind of like Kremlin leadership and like most of the like Russian government is pretty much like in accordance with this whole plan to start war, like, or, you know, this uh, special Mm -hmm. military operation. Like if you listen (laughs) to Sergei Lavrov, like he's articulating the same ideas as well. And, you know, there were other like Russian skull. I've seen a few of them on like RT English, you know, that are also articulating, but in a much more muted like not as wacky Duganist kind of way, but like kind of expressing similar geopolitical ideas um, of what they want to see happen. And mm-hmm. they, they do have, I mean, like you said, like, like this idea that there's like a deep civilizational connection between Ukraine and Russia is not just like a wacky Duganist thing that he made up. It's not just like an insane like concept that, I mean, definitely not. I mean, they're neighboring countries, like a bunch of people there speak Russian, like for sure there's a strong civilizational connection. And they've Um, been part of the same country for for at least hundreds of years. Now, Western Ukraine is a little bit different. Ukraine can't, uh, couldn't in theory be like a neutral, I mean, now who the fuck knows, like it seems like it's gone to complete shit, but like there could have been a possibility, maybe, but like, you know, if you insist on like promising them that they can be in NATO. That's the thing. Like they, know, they, they knew that was a red line. Everybody knew that was a red line. Yeah, I guess like, they just why? thought. Why? Eh, it's stupid. Because anyway, you know why. You know why. Yeah, exactly. It's control. Because yeah. if they can take it, they're going to take it. Yeah, it's because pissed then... me off so much. Honestly, I've just been pissed off by everyone. Like uh, this is not to do with Dugan. We should probably get back to the Dugan subject. But I've been pissed off by everyone like talking like, you know. And when you even bring up the hypocrisy, like even someone, even some of our friends have been like, well, you know, it's different because like America's more powerful. And it's like, what the fuck you? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. It's been tough. It, it's a little tough um, mm. to to have like, yeah, I've, I've heard people say like, yeah, like, well, like NATO doesn't do anything bad. Like they're just like a, yeah, uh, they're, or they're, like, they're just it's like okay an on paper alliance. To, like, like, what do they do? Try to pick the next president of Ukraine or whatever, but. 
Like, nobody's you know, heard, you know, it's like nobody's heard the Victoria Newland phone call where she's like, Yats is our guy. Yats is our guy. EU. Fuck the EU. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, it, yeah. it's just so frustrating that, like, you can't get through to, because then, of course, like, uh-oh, like, uh, you kind of sound, hey, bro, you kind of yeah, sound sounding like a little bit like a, right like right a Putin uh, apologist. I don't yeah, want to be mean, but it seems like you've been just uh, getting a little tanky propaganda. Uh <laughs> Everyone, yeah, like, literally, like, but it's not even, it's not, like, tanky propaganda. It is exactly what, like, a bunch of fucking, like, totally normie, like, foreign policy blob CIA people said and warned yes. about. Kissinger warned about it. Yeah. Like, literally, it's not, but, like, now it's, like, yeah, now it's beyond the pall somehow. And, like, you are literally, like, uh, a Duganist. <laughs> like, you're, you know, <laughs> you've been hypnotized by Putin's Rasputin. If you well, see, and that's that, why like, I'm resisting. incredibly like uh, irresponsible to like try to cultivate this whole NATO relationship with Ukraine and to bring them into the fold. Like, you know, and that is the context that has precipitated all of this, like for sure. Uh, Absolutely. And, it can't, you know, yeah. He's responsible for his own actions. It's horrible. Like when civilians die, you know, uh, the innocent people who suffer, like they ha- uh, do not bear responsibility uh, the Azov battalion people loading up their guns with like pork, uh, greased bullets, like, uh, <laughs> them a they, little bit. Uh, yeah, they uh, deserve it, I but mean, you know, I mean, you saw mostly that the people who suffer are innocent people, uh, due to like, you know, this bullshit and yeah, it's what, anyway, uh, so yeah, telling bad, people to go, you know, make Molotov cocktails there is a context and throw them and, like, at fucking yeah, tanks. What really uh, pisses me off is just like the, the sanctimony and like the incredible hypocrisy of like the the commentariat around this it's just like yeah it's just it, it, really it actually gets to a yeah. point of feeling a little bit dangerous because it's like the it is, it is so baked into the system of being unable to like the lack of self-awareness is dangerous because when you think you have such yeah like the moral high grounds then like things become just like anything becomes justified you know exactly like, uh, you can't see how like you've like you know your uh, the country that you represent or like the one that you want to take military action has done worse and how like as the you know during the unipolar moment like you set the standard for like you know what is okay for a power to do you know like you did things like you can't pass yeah. moral judgment at that point like you've ceded all moral high ground so like acting like you haven't like it's almost gauche to bring up like, the invasion who, of Iraq. Why are you playing now? by the rules? Like you determine the rules. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, no, it's like, it's almost gauche right now to bring up like the, to make a compare to do what aboutism and bring up the invasion of Iraq that was almost what 20 about-ism? years ago. That's a Russian tactic. That's actually a Soviet <laughs> technique. Uh, what about Tizma? Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah it's exactly. what about Tizma? Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Only a Soviet propaganda would lead some, like only being truly indoctrinated would lead someone to when someone does something and then it's criticized by someone to say, like, you did this. It's really a uh, two quoque, an ancient concept. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Whatever. But I mean, now you really, yeah. Uh, to quote Quay fallacy. Uh, <laughs> you just can't say shit. And just we because have like, I do it too. Uh, yeah, when now we have the, the full West Wingification. It's the, like it's beyond yeah, the Reddit, I mean, the Redditification. Yeah, the West Wingification and the Redditification of, of geopolitics on an incredible level where people are like, uh, that's a fallacy. Like, no, actually, it's not a fallacy to point out like that the United States has done this too because they affect each other because it's connected in a geopolitical system and one like establishes the context in which another one happens, especially yeah. when you're trying to establish like a sphere of influence like that is colliding up against the border of a nuclear power. 
But like, you see, no, we have nothing to do that's with what about any of the problems. Them. Yeah, in, exactly. In yeah, it's like saying, like, oh, you shot me. Like, uh, what about it? So, like, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, you shot me like, first. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, oh, uh, what about ism? Like, okay. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, it's really, truly fucking staggering. And, you know, people still bring up like Operation Mockingbird, but I'm increasingly convinced that like we're, we're on like the grandchild of Operation Mockingbird in the sense that it's like a, it's a thing that was seeded into the system that maybe you had to directly control people in the seventies. But now it's like, it's so baked in that mm -hmm. like blue checks are just going to blue check now. And they'll be basically doing mockingbird without anybody like forcibly telling them now, of course, I mean, I don't, can you imagine like a newsroom today where somebody like goes to their edit, they're like in a pitch meeting or whatever. And they bring up to the editor, like, Oh, here's an article about how actually like NATO, like antagonized Russia and like maybe they share some of the responsibility. Like, can you imagine it's the reaction in that, that fucking that, like, room? Nothing like about 2014 and 2015 has come up at all. Like Not at all. people aren't even talking about that. Like you'd think that at least like on, you know, maybe even on left-wing Twitter, like you'd see people circulating the Victoria Newland thing, but it's been, it's been memory hold. It's been memory hold. The only uh, video I saw, and I'm glad it did, but it was, uh, I think it was only from like December, like, uh, or maybe January. It was like very recent. And it was one of the members of like one of the leaders of like Svoboda or fucking right sector, one of these Nazis who was just bragging for a few minutes at like a like a Q&A, like some kind of press conference thing. He was just bragging about how like, oh, yeah, the Maidan wouldn't have worked without us like Nazis. Like, are you kidding me? It would have. He said without us, it would have been a gay pride parade. <laughs> you know and like and he was saying like yeah there aren't that many of us but like we were the, the critical force to like make things happen and blah 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 and he also was saying like hilarious shit that was like yeah you know what if we got control of an independent ukraine it would be a problem for europe and russia and for everybody actually because like you don't want to know what happens when ukraine gets unchained baby like he was kind of like bragging about how like how super fascist and like intransigent they would be if they got taken over by the neo-nazis and saying all this is like a very positive sense, but he's like, you know, he's telling on himself and you don't hear any of that. Or, you know, I had to turn on like RT English to even see like doc, like they had like documentary retrospectives playing on loop about the 2014 war. And I remember kind of following it as it happened, but you never hear about it in the U S media, like after it happened. So it was like, it was actually a good refresher to just how much, combat was happening it actually looks exactly the same as what's kind of happening right now maybe there's more like fighter jets and airstrikes going on right now but in terms of like the ground the on the ground fighting like shooting missile launchers like all that kind of shit and also like the atrocities against civilians which is i'm sorry like it like it's interesting how you know all this talk these days about feeling seen and centering voices but i guess like the donbass like russian speaking ukrainians don't exist or like don't matter even though like 15,000 of them have died over the last eight years i mean that's not a nothing point that you yeah. know when they try to say now maybe okay yeah like what he's doing now is different than the low-grade kind of insurgency war that was happening in donbass like prior to this but we're still talking about a place that's had you know, like pretty much ongoing hostilities for the last eight years and is in like this limbo and you know, you have these like Azov battalion types in yeah. the National Guard that are like shelling right. this area constantly and talking about how they're rats today. and they want to exterminate them all. 
Yeah, I read an article today that was like, uh, you know, like some like basically like normie article about it. No, actually, it's funny. It was in the Intercept. It was in the Intercept, of course it was. And which was like, yeah, you know, yes, there are uh, neo-Nazi militias in Ukraine, but there are also the United States. And yeah, sure, <laughs> but like they at least had to pretend to not be if they are part of like the official military of the United States, like. Yes. They're not like openly and like, you know, tweeting about like how, you know, like they're, you know, proudly being Nazis like on their like social media accounts like, you know, and yeah, like Russia has like uh, fascist militias, too, in their armies. Like, that's definitely true. But that doesn't mean that Ukraine doesn't like, yeah, it does make like Putin's like desire to denazify them like you know, like kind of hypocritical or, but you can't like just brush that aside as something that is real. Like it's not meaningless. Yeah. Um, But there's a real determination that uh, we're just not going to talk about the Nazi thing. And anybody that does is spreading pro-Russian propaganda going back to like 2014. I remember so many people telling me like, like what? Like, I mean, even the last week or so I'm like, well, you know, there are like Nazis and they're like, what like well, no, but the there president's aren't. Jewish, the president's Jewish, and as the we know, Jewish. there is absolutely no overlap between those two domains. It is impossible for someone who's Jewish to be like a right wing fascist, uh, <laughs> even if they're owned by like a uh, you know, uh, oligarch who like spent time, like you know, ran off to Israel, like while uh, his predecessor was in charge, uh, and then came back as soon as uh, the great hero uh, took over. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I Um, mean, the servant of the people himself. I mean, a cynical mind could say maybe that was like part of the appeal of uh, putting an actor like Zelensky in the presidency is that it's a lot harder to say that like it's a country that's run by Nazis when you have like a Jewish president. But yeah, uh, you know, I mean, I think I think the I just think they don't care because I think that to a certain point, like, yeah, the Nazi elements in Ukraine aren't necessarily focused on, you know, Jews necessarily. Like maybe that they are like, you know, anti-Semitic, but like I think that they are willing to make a tactical alliance with Eastern European Ashkenazis people like who are aligned with NATO. You know, yeah, exactly. Like they. Yeah. Yeah. And who have like powerful connections to like Israel. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Israel definitely is not uh, like, you know, opposed to any kind of, you know, they, they're, you know, they, uh, that's part of their, I feel like their ideology at this point is like, we need to become a little bit Nazi ourselves. You know, there's a little bit of a I mean, you know, they, jealousy they, going on there. They, you know, Didn't they get Otto Scorzani's assistance to help train some of their exactly. you know, you know, security forces? I mean, this yeah. is nothing new, literally like, Going back to the 50s, I mean, I think we talked in our Martin Borman episode about how, like, allegedly the individual that was Martin Borman was, uh, became friends with a lot of, like, wealthy Jewish businessmen in, um, I guess, in Argentina, right? In mm-hmm. Buenos Aires and stuff. And kind of, even though he was still pretty much, like, a Nazi, but the, there definitely was... Um, a kind of a shift with some of the Nazis, like, after World War II... And I think especially as like Israel got more established, realizing that, you know, oh, these guys could be good kind of, you know, tactical allies to accomplish, you know, a variety of like right wing objectives in the world. And so that's why you get this like strange bedfellows thing. You know, I think I think it would be a mistake to say like 
Zelensky is a Nazi because that's like not his background. And I don't know that, that Zelensky that's isn't a Nazi, role. but he has like cuddled up with them because of their powerful influence in Ukrainian politics. He's um, like tolerant of them. Like he's not like he sure. called Bandera a fact, cool guy. He literally called Bandera <laughs> yeah. a cool guy who fought it's for totally his country. It's totally cool to idolize him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like it's not as like, I mean, it's bullshit. Like, uh, I mean, it's the same thing as like saying like, I mean, there's plenty of Jews who like are uh, totally chill with like basically Nazis. Like it's just a ridiculous like deflection. We shouldn't even be entertaining it. But like, yeah. But the, having Dugan there just makes it all easier to kind of flip it on its head and say that, you know, uh, Russia's the real Nazis in this situation. Yes, they are. Which I and, mean, yeah, yeah, there are Nazis like Russian nationalism is not my uh, yeah. I don't, I do not put that on a pedestal at all. Um, yeah. And like the Wagner group is like a sus organization. Yeah. Wagner group uh, is pretty sus. Um, they've been, yeah. they're popping around Africa and stuff. And the, the leader looks to have some, doesn't he have like SS tattoos? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I sure he, he does. does. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, yeah. So like until the, the red flag of the sickle and hammer is like raised over Kiev, you know, and the yeah. uh, Humpty Dumpty As is put we know, back yeah, together I mean, It's again. all Lenin's fault that this happened in the it's first place. It's all Lenin's fault. To Putin. Yeah, oh, maybe God. Dugan told him that. I don't know. But that apparently was a they do, galaxy they do meet regularly, but Putin, uh, sorry, but Dugan uh, said that Putin still remains a mystery to him. Uh, he says the president of the Russian Federation pronounces phrases in each of which one person's office contradicts the other. For example, the president says it is necessary to strengthen national sovereignty and for this to strengthen the process of globalization. So, you know, that's one thing that he's upset. He's Putin's a mystery to him, but he still strongly supports him. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's the very common thing with like Putin is that like so many Russians and I think that's a hard thing for Americans to like wrap their head around because like we were well, certainly Russia. not people I mean another thing with the whole discourse around this is I think that it's heavily inflected by I mean it's has to do with the psychological scars of the Trump presidency like it's people like acting out there like they feel that they were attacked by Putin, like they, like that, that whole like <laughs> Russia Gate psyop is like yeah. bearing its fruit now. Like they think that like this is just like they think that like the death of like two thousand innocent people is just like you know a a minor front in the real war, which is when Putin sent his trolls and bots yep. to you know impose Trump upon us. Like that's like really what's going on in all these people's minds. Really the and greatest like, geopolitical travesty of the last hundred years. Yeah, and Not, that's why, yeah. like you know, I think that that's why they were able to draw on such a reserve of hatred for Putin is because like they're able to tap into their well of like Trump trauma uh, that they have and like seeing him kiss Putin on SNL and everything, which is real them. And, you know, stuff like that. So it, it's really yeah. like it all of it feels almost like so well orchestrated to like break people's brains over the course of like the last decade or so and get us ready for almost this like really like poorly conceived apocalyptic like confrontation with Russia. It's demented. It's truly it really like, is. you know, yeah, the hopefully like cooler heads will prevail and like we can just. Well, that's the thing. Like, we don't, we like, uh, you know, like Jen Psaki being like, we don't talk to people who invade sovereign countries, sweetie. Like, <laughs> yep, okay. Exactly. Like, yeah. Like, what the hell? Like, you, are you serious? Like, you don't have the right to act this way. Like, you 
it's your almost in a way like it's your responsibility if you want to be like the sole superpower if you want to not have russia expand and you know then it's your responsibility to like embody the values that you want the world to have and like try to make like you know end this like horror that's gonna just but no, you just want to have Syria part um, two. But where sweetie, an we destroyed. don't negotiate with Trump enablers. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> we uh, just don't. We just don't. I mean, yeah. come on. Um, uh, yeah, he's invading uh, a sovereign country. I'm looking so, at this. I'm looking at yeah, this article. Not a good look. There's an article from November 2021 that is kind of indicative from the bulwark. I forget what their angle is, but they say meet the Texas secessionist movement brought to you by Russia. The no. Kremlin continues its care and feeding of American extremist groups. Like let it the fuck go. Like, Oh my God. Like Texans like secede. Like Texans like to talk shit about seceding. That's not a Russian thing that they like invent. It's not uh, like a Russian invented uh, what, thing. Well, but is I, this like a minor thing like funded by Russia where like they have like their little like shell organizations? Like, I mean, they do do that. Um, excuse but, me, like, how significant it's, is it? It's one of their secession is one of the Kremlin's active measures campaigns. Promote oh fringe God. wackos abroad and hope that eventually they break something. This may not sound like much of a plan, but it sometimes works. Putin has been openly building his portfolio of wackos for a while, and the wackos have begun breaking things. Okay, so I guess there's a, the Texas nationalist movement. This article, I guess, gets into Dugan's like malicious influence. It's also funny because it's like, oh, like the FBI doesn't create like a bunch of fake nationalist groups, <laughs> like you know. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, pretty much run them whole cloth um, uh, and storm the Capitol. <laughs> I mean, and this does like uh, this is interesting. Um, Okay, so the, there was a 2015 <laughs> gathering. The anti-Semitism the, animating Putin's claim to denazify Ukraine is an article I came across by uh, searching Dugan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the first one that pops up. It's That's the first one. truly great. I guess... Um, or it could just be the incredible, like, significant presence of Nazis in Ukraine that he's exploiting. Like, again, as we said, like, doesn't mean there's no Nazis anywhere else, but, like, he is referring to something real. A real political phenomenon in that country. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's not to say that no democratic Ukrainian country is Nazi. free of far right nationalist groups, including the United States. Like, but why is there, why is the Azov Battalion part of the National Guard? Why exactly. do they get to like tweet from the official? <laughs> National like you Guard can't now. have it both ways. Like I, like I know for a fact that like not all you there are Ukrainians. Like I know Ukrainians that are not yeah. Nazis and they hate Russia. Like yes. I, I totally get it. That's Absolutely. a real constituency. But yes, there's a problem because there's also Nazis and those people kind of have a, a choice to make over should we tolerate standing side by side with Nazis who also hate Russia or should we feel like that's a line too far and we want to talk about it and, you know, protest again. We want maybe we want an independent Ukraine, but we don't want these fucking Azov Battalion Nazis running around building statues to Bandera, like marching around with torches and shit. But like the problem is, it seems like with the post 2014 regime, that is not um, that is not a permissible political opinion to have in Ukraine that like we need to get rid of the Nazis, because I think, you know, it means you're probably a Russia apologist if you want that or the Nazis don't exist. Nazis don't exist. What are you talking about? You know, so I feel like there's not there's probably a, a large constituency of like people who don't like Russia and don't like the Nazi gangs either but like you know it's complicated but you can't just ignore the existence of the nazis and the role they're playing in it i mean at the same time 
I am reading, you know, this Bulwark article about the 2015 conference in Moscow, uh, mm-hmm. where apparently, or sorry, in St. Petersburg, um, organized by Rodina, um, the motherland party in Russia, which is like, they call it the fascist adjacent offshoot of Putin's United Russia party. So they had the likes of German neo-Nazis, the KKK, Greece's Golden <laughs> Dawn, and Roberto Fiore, the Italian terrorist responsible for the 1980 bombing in Bologna that killed 85, that was like a Gladio bombing, uh, where they could gather and praise Putin's defense of Western read white culture. Here, featured on Redina's website is Nate Smith, uh, the Texas you know movement executive director in attendance, uh, Russia's info warriors were very pleased with his comments at the event. This skullduggery got so bad and Robert Mueller indicted 13 Russians who were working with the Texas secessionist movement in 2016 to please put down your coffee, spread misinformation about Ted Cruz during the presidential primary in order to help Donald Trump. That's actually funny because I wonder if that was the rumor that his dad was involved in the JFK assassination, which is the one rumor like thing that Trump said that I think is actually true. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know what, if that's if that's what they did, uh, you know, I mean, (laughs) it might be true. So I guess there was the Council of Conservative Citizens also went, which was, I don't know praised by Dylan Roof in his manifesto. Yeah, I noticed a lot of people like pictures of Ukrainians wearing like Rhodesia patches like Ooh, in yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah word, he would be um, he would have been a good recruit uh to go and fight there. Yeah, and, if only. Yeah, too bad he was misdirected. He could have been a hero. He'd I can definitely see hero. them stretching here because then they bring up Adam Waffen, which venerates Roof as a hero, and Adam Waffen was founded by a teenager in Florida using a messaging platform created by a Russian. So no. Telegram. I mean, <laughs> okay. it's so much they want to like, yeah. And like most of the stuff is talking about the United States itself. Like this Guardian article about the anti-Semitism driving Putin's claim to animate, uh, oh, sorry, uh, animating Putin's claim to denazify Ukraine is like the biggest stretch I've ever seen. It's like literally because, you know, he says that, well, they use the same thing, like Zelensky's Jewish, so therefore that's an absurd claim. Furthermore, fascists view the real victims of Nazis as being Christians and the Jews are like just whining and complaining and like, you know, stealing the spotlight. And so therefore it's anti-Semitic to say that you want to denazify. Allegedly, this article says that Alexander Dugan befriended David Duke in Russia. Wow. I mean, I Uh, wouldn't be surprised by that. I mean, like. Yeah, there's a picture of them together. Um, yeah, well, um, you know, this is what I'm saying. He like kind of, I mean, he basically is like a fascist. I mean, he like, probably this is why has I don't fuck with his fascist the the past. Like, yeah. Although I, you know, I, I wonder, like, I think that there probably is value. Like, I feel like his ideas like do, I mean, he really is like the most famous exponent of like the pretty influential, like evil style traditionalism, like, mm-hmm. which I think still does have like some influence and yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly, yeah. like uh, I'm reading this article uh, now from Balt Info uh-huh. uh, about like a speech Dugan gave where he was, uh, you know, uh, he's sort of talking about, you know, the Eurasian sort of alliance that he he would like to build. And uh, he says, uh, you know, he recently uh, visited Iran. Uh, oh, he loves Iran. He went to calm. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, he's, he's he was delighted with the willingness of the local mullahs to die in the last battle with the forces of good and evil. But, you know, it says not to be in order not to be accused of excessive sympathy for Islam, 
Alexander uh, Gelevich immediately told about his long trip to with Alexander Prokhanov in 1992 to the former Yugoslav city of Banja Luka, where they met beautiful, almost two-meter Serbian soldiers who were going to die for a strategically unnecessary mountain because it is their mountain. Um, <laughs> so, but I feel like that kind of calculus like factors in like on both sides, where like yeah, and his vision like extremely like anti-Muslim like Serbs can like unite with the Iranians. And like, yeah. I think that same mentality, Ashkenazi, uh, Eastern European Jews, like, yeah. and you know, their uh, oligarchs can unite with the uh, far right fascists. And probably they like Russians feel the same thing. There's probably sort of contradictions in like the Russian formulations, like as well, I would imagine. I mean, like, oh yeah, definitely. You know, just the very fact that like, there's probably, I mean, there's probably Chechens like on both sides of this fight. For They're literally, yeah. I mean, you have like yeah. the, probably the leftover ISIS mercenaries uh, fighting with Azov. And then you have like, uh, <laughs> and also probably like, like, you know, the uh, Chechen Mujahideen who are like the descendants of like the, you know, belligerents and the Chechen, well, War. actually, no, it's interesting you know. is that most of them uh, switched sides during the second Chechen war. And oh, some of them Kaderov. did. Well, most yeah. of them. And then the, the, the ones that switched killed a lot of the ones that didn't. So yes, that's like, true. Yeah. Uh, so there might be some kicking around or maybe Dagestan. I mean, they're definitely like a lot of the people who were like, uh, who came back to Ukraine, a lot of the ISIS people who came back to Ukraine. Were yeah. Were those like, type of Chechens. Yeah. yeah the ones exactly. that didn't or go the, with Kaderov. Yeah. Right, but, uh, yes. but Kadarov uh, is like leading. He's in Ukraine right now, like leading his like battalion of Chechens. Yeah, the Kadarov C. Uh, yeah, posting on TikTok C. like all the yeah. time. Or he's a big Instagram um, guy. Um, right. Yeah, and I, you know, I honestly, I wonder like if something similar to what happened with uh, Kadyrov's father might happen in this situation because that was like a big switch. You yeah. know, like it's crazy. Yeah, the father like, was like a secessionist, Ahmed basically. Yeah. yeah, exactly. He was a big secessionist. But mm -hmm. like even up until 99, he was like saying like, you know, we must fight Russia. But then like he suddenly switched. Interesting. Uh, yeah. And now, yeah. Now and Kadarov yeah. like pretty much runs runs the place. His son runs the place. Yeah. Well, he's the head uh, of yeah. the Chechen Republic. Yeah. And I mean, he's like not a good person. You know what I have here? Uh what Alexander Dugan posted on Facebook when the Ukraine, you know, yeah, I'm uh, sorry too. Maybe off. we'll go into Dugan uh, at another opportunity because I'm sorry too. Uh, this person for hijacking their Dugan questions just generally spiral off about Ukraine. Not that we didn't do that with every other question, but still, I mean, it's, it's relevant. It's relevant. This is yeah, this relevant. is a statement let's about Ukraine. This. All right, let's um, hear it. So at least we we can hear directly. Uh, yeah. You what know. does Dugan have to say about current events? Yeah. So he says, "This is not a war with Ukraine." This is a confrontation with globalism as a whole planetary phenomenon. Confrontation at all levels, geopolitical and ideological. Russia rejects everything in globalism. Monopolarity, Atlanticism on the one hand, <laughs> and liberalism, anti-tradition, technocracy, great reset in one word, in another. It is clear that all European leaders are part of the Atlantic liberal elite, and we went to war with her. Hence is their normal response. Russia is now being excluded from the globalist networks. She has no choice anymore, either to build her world or to disappear. Russia has taken a course to build its world, its civilization, and now the first step is being taken. But in the face of globalism, only a large space, a continent state, a civilization state can be sovereign. No country will last a complete blackout for long. 
Russia is now creating a field of global resistance. Her victory will be the victory of all alternative forces, both the right and the left and all nations. As always, we begin the most difficult and dangerous processes, but when we win, they all share. That's the way it's meant to be. We are now creating the premise for true polypolarism, and those who are ready to kill us now will be the first to use our feet tomorrow. I almost always write what then comes true. This too will come to pass. You know, that's interesting because, you know, when you put it in those terms, it almost does start to make sense of some of the things that don't make sense about this, like, and sort of the sort of shifting attitudes, like politically uh, between like Ukraine and Russia, some of the weird, like kind of gamesmanship and like the, the feints and the, the deceit that seems to have happened on both sides or like the, yeah, uh, maybe like if you think of it as more than just a, a quest to conquer Ukraine, but like some kind of, uh, or, you know, to take certain concessions from Ukraine or hold certain territory, you yeah. know, maybe if you don't think of it as simply a political goal, maybe if you do think of it as something that is really directed against, you know, uh, maybe this does kind of uh, seed some ideological ground to the blue checks who obviously see it as an attack on them. Mm-hmm. But like, maybe if you do see this as directed, like somehow westward against globalism, it starts to make like a bit more sense, a bit more sense. Uh, I think, no, I think that's absolutely true. And I think that's a better way to look at it than just looking on like the, the narrow geopolitics of like, he wants to get Ukraine. And uh, like, of course this is a, strategically significant kind of area and all that stuff. But I think the choice to go in the way he did and pop off and like start this conflict, because he knew, you know, I mean, it's not exactly a secret what like, I mean, he stated that it had to do with NATO. Yeah, exactly. But he's like, that was his, one of his conditions was like, I want like a promise that, like Ukraine will never join NATO. And I think maybe a few times he said they promised like, the opposite. Yeah. Even though like, you know, yeah. Um, yeah, well, no, we we're not going to stop it. Um, yeah. And now yeah. like, you know, uh, now it's too late, but yeah, I mean, the thing is, I don't think he's going to get like that necessarily. Well, we'll see. It might just become like a horrible, maybe in time, but it'll just be a disaster, you know? Uh, yeah, but the economic ramifications of it are, are should not be overlooked because that's true. like yeah. everyone, I think that's one thing a lot of people are freaking out right now is like Russia is totally cut off. They're almost on like a DPRK mm-hmm. level of being cut off from the global economy. And like, is this going to cause absolute like chaos? Is it going to make Putin like overreact as like Russia yeah. collapses in on itself? But exactly. it's we a, can't the ignore. Sanctions are incredibly aggressive. They're, they're really aggressive, aggressive. but yeah. we, we can't ignore like who's standing on russia's side and all this china like china's not cutting ties with russia at all they're Mm -hmm. increasing their ties actually like they're they're going to start selling gas to china and it seems like the thinking is that whatever we get cut out from like whatever you know uh whatever disadvantages these uh sanctions cause like china's the biggest manufacturing nation in the world and we have a huge border with them and whatever we don't get from Europe anymore, we'll get from China. And so yeah. I think also you might be looking at, this might be a bold effort to like hasten. And that's the, a lot of the FOPO like spook said was yeah. what, you know, the opposite of what should happen was that we should try to become friends with Russia. 
against yeah. China. I mean, well, I yeah, that's why like some of like the fighting old a war with either of them, but that is what they. That's they why said I think you get for. these right wingers like Tucker. Everyone's mad about it, but like Tucker, Steve Bannon, like Alex Jones, like uh, Michael Flynn, like all these people yeah. that are kind of like eh, like Duganists of a sort. Yeah, they are kind uh, of. They I want, mean, they're they fellow travelers. To, they're, de- they're defectors from Atlantis. Uh, yeah, they kind of are because they view, hey, you know what, Russia is like, you know, white. Uh, they're yeah, Christian. They have blue eyes. They're basically yeah. capitalist, like they are. Yeah. They actually listen to what Putin says. Putin hates communism. Like he always talks yeah. shit about Lenin. Like he's not gonna he's not gonna raise that red flag again. Unfortunately, in my opinion. But uh, you know, it'd be like cooler if he did. But you know, that's like there's actually not a lot of like ideological incompatibility between like Putin and like you know a, a Steve Bannon or a Michael Flynn or somebody like that. And they view yeah. China; they're obsessed with China as like the huge threat. So, you know, like that's always been like Brzezinski was all about that. Kissinger was all about that, that like that's why they opened up to China so aggressively and tried to become friends with them to go out to basically take out the Soviet Union. And then I I think Kissinger even wrote about this, like like in the 70s when he started this, like we're going to take out, you know, use China and our relationship with them to undermine the USSR. And then maybe one day when the USSR collapses or something, uh, then when Russia is weaker, we could uh, pivot back to being friends with them to counter China, which will be more powerful at that point, and just play these guys off of each other and make sure, make sure above all that they don't solidify tight bonds with each other. Because yeah. then what role do we have on the Eurasian continent? If China and Russia are like on the same page and they're working together and that seems to be what they're drive. Like that's the risk. I feel like NATO and the West are running right now is like, if they're going to do this, like, cancel culture uh but with global economics of like oh you want to trade with russia well guess what like you can't withdraw money from your atm anymore like all your shit is to, is stolen you know all your funds are frozen then maybe there's going to be like an alternative swift system that gets built and then it's all going to be settled in yuan and rubles and stuff like that right so yeah i don't know we uh <laughs> we keep going on that forever but we'll have to, we'll have to i think tackle it next time I yeah, think um, dog your is dog is angry that you're spreading Russian. Yeah, he's like, how can you? How can you do that? What about those poor people? They have blue eyes like us. They have dogs. <laughs> yeah. Putin uh, elected Trump. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. The president's yeah. Jewish. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. all right. That's what he's saying right now. But That's yeah. What he's saying. Yeah. Okay. So well, you know, my own personal blue check over here is okay. I, I scared him away. I made an aggressive swipe towards him, and he scurried <laughs> off to yell at me from from the doorway. Um, your dog isn't a Martian trying to undermine you. Yeah. Well, he is projecting negative thoughts right now. Yeah. Um. Lots of negative thoughts, but yeah. Okay. Um. I guess we can we can <laughs> leave Ukraine it there. Pig fat bullets to, decri- to deflate Russian aggression. Uh, wow, uh, to deflate Russian aggression. This is just like some of the articles that come up if you like are generally searching this. It's really wonderful. Yeah, um, yeah. I do. I do, the very last thing before we go uh, on his website geopolitica.ru. He had a, a hilarious article from last year called "Humanity as a Lodge," which actually has a convincing theory about Freemasonry. He goes <laughs> like all about like the history of Freemasonry and how you know it eventually became like this uh, progressive kind of lodge system 
that was like separated from like actual Mason work, speculative Freemasonry is what he calls it. And he explains the question I think we've asked before, why, why the Freemasons fall off in like the mm-hmm. mid 20th century when everybody used to be a Freemason, it was so important. Uh, well, he says that today, those who call themselves Freemasons, and there are some, are either atavistic rudiments or clowns. They have no more reason to exist. Their historical program is accomplished on the planetary scale. All of humanity has gradually become one Masonic Lodge. It is just a matter of time before the last step of the Masonic program will become the reality, the establishment of a worldwide dictatorship of the world government. But we see certain obstacles along the way, and I hope you know what I mean. We are this obstacle, you and I, the new coming race, the race of awakening. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. He has a lot of Freemasonry, uh, like articles. (laughs) Uh, I would be interested if we do do an episode, maybe Dugan could be an interesting like angle, actually. Uh, if we, you know, uh, do an episode like in this general vein, I mean, we purged, I feel like a lot of our apoplexy, uh, just now. Yeah, we did. We had, yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm just reading this article in Providence magazine, uh, which is, uh, kind of like sort of, uh, shares the uh, conclusion that I think we came to, which is that Dugan's ideas are undoubtedly dangerous and should not be taken lightly. That said, Dugan receives far more attention and credibility from the likes of Lawrence Southern and the Western alt-right than from Kremlin policymakers. Dugan fascinates the alt-right with his anti-liberal, anti-globalist, Euro-skeptic, and nationalist rhetoric. You know, these uh, useful idiots, along with reactionary journalists, grant Dugan far more coverage and legitimacy in the West and the Kremlin elites, over which he supposedly wields much influence. Yeah. The result is impressionable Western observers concluding that Dugan is an ideological leader when he isn't. He's kind of like a fancier uh, Sebastian Gorka in a way. Like yeah, he, He's funny. a more like yeah. learned Sebastian Gorka kind of person that... You know, he'd be over here doing like relief factor commercials on Fox News maybe in a yeah. few years if he has to flee Russia. I mean, um, it's funny. The parallel to Rasputin is funny because like even Rasputin is like kind of like a, you know, a borderline like a, I mean, it almost is time to apply the term Orientalism to the treatment of, of Russia. Uh, and it is kind of an Orientalist myth, the idea. of. Rasputin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. These yeah, Asiatic the hordes and everything yeah. uh, punishing the, the beautiful blue children of Eastern magic. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he has a video but, called Dante Alighieri, the canceled genius of Europe. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. yeah, uh, Dugan's uh, expertise, the inverted world on the threshold of demonic reality, and then a video called Drain the Swamp with like him next to Trump. <laughs> <laughs> I guess he Word. gave up on Trump because Trump cucked out, uh, so right. he didn't go far so, enough. But anyways, yeah, perhaps we'll return to this, but we will. Time being. Yeah. Uh, for time being, we have to conclude for now. So thanks to the Grotto again for providing uh, our questions uh, yes, so long you, ago. <laughs> yeah, so long ago, back in uh, July, but uh, weirdly prescient, perhaps. But a promise um, is a promise. Uh, yeah, we're continuing to move through them. Uh, like It's like Aaron Sorkin's The Newsroom at this point. We're like, you know, uh, <laughs> responding to past events. All right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But uh, we'll we'll be back soon with another round. But until next time, dear listeners, stay vigilant. Peace. Money won't fix it. Power won't fix it. Sex won't fix it. Jobs won't fix it. Fame won't fix it. Life won't fix it. Your life. Can't fix it.
Back. 